Before we get into today's Reddit stories, I first of all need to tell you about one of my other favorite Reddit podcasts out there, The OKOP Show. If you guys are looking for even more daily Reddit content, then The OKOP Show with John and Sam is perfect for you. Just search for the letters OKOP wherever you get your pods. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In this special r slash nuclear revenge episode, I'll be showing you three hours of the very best nuclear revenge stories of the year. If this first story is anything to go by, you're not going to want to miss a single one of the stories in the next few hours. Let's go. Next time, it's lead and not paints. Back in the winter, or maybe late fall of 2004-2005, one of my friends, Victor the victim, had an issue with bullying by Chad. I can't remember what the bullying was. I only remember the most epic and nuclear of reactions. Victor was badly harmed and spent weeks out of school before coming back. This bullying that led to a fistful of prescription pills and Victor getting his stomach pumped in the ER was not your garden variety bullying. After months of attempts of doing things the right way, unsuccessfully, we planned our attack. And yes, I consider it an attack. Before anyone suggests you could have shot his eye out, we discussed that possibility. None of us cared if that was the outcome. Quite simply, we waited until Victor was documented to be at work late one night. Our posse, four of us, gathered up a bunch of paintball guns and equipment, forest camo, dark clothes, and jumped the bully in his driveway when he was getting home. We unloaded on him with paintballs, not giving two dangs about whether or not we shot his eyes out. By the end, he was rolling around, covering his face while getting repeatedly shot point blank. We left a note under his windshield wipers. Next time, we'll be led. Leave Victor alone or you're dead. We also took a bunch of tire irons to his car and smashed the heck out of it. Good thing we were wearing full masks because of the little bits of glass flying everywhere. CSI being a thing and all, we used a new pack of note cards sealed in plastic, gloves, and deliberate evil-looking handwriting that was less handwriting and more drawings with red ink. When he finally showed up at school, he looked like he'd been sent through a meat grinder. He was absolutely covered in blue and black welts and had several bandages on quite a few spots where the skin had been broken. Needless to say, the cops were called about the incident, and there was a big thing in the morning where the cops went into every homeroom class and asked if anyone knew anything about it the cops tried to guilt us into confessing having no clue who actually did it they brought up stuff like he could have lost his vision if his eyes had gotten hit the issue that he may get permanent scars they eventually showed pictures in the er of his blood mixing with paintball paints from the welts being so numerous that they were on top of each other the guilt trip strategy to invoke a confession was a good one except none of us actually felt guilty being the smart asses we were we pointed the finger at victor and one other friend who we knew had an alibi work he was jumpy and never the same i straight up think we gave him fairly moderate ptsd from the attack like we seriously psychologically damaged him after a few months he moved and didn't tell anyone where i think his parents just straight up left town with the kid and he may or may not have graduated elsewhere well in my opinion two wrongs don't make a right but when a kid at school has been bullied into not even being able to go to school for weeks at a time something has to be done i like that you said that you tried to do it the ethical way and i presume go to teachers and parents etc and try and get it worked out but when that led to nothing 
at that point, you got to do what you got to do. Let me know in the comments. Do you think this revenge was too far and unnecessary or do you think it was deserved? I found out my sister has been screwing my boyfriend behind my back. I get even. I never ever thought I'd be telling this story on Reddit of all freaking places. But since I've been seeing everyone share their revenge stories, I got a little inspired. So I thought I'd share mine. Little backstory first. I was born into a broken family. My father was a drug addict. My mother, on the other hand, was the kindest, strongest woman I know. Fortunately, they separated just after the birth of my younger sister, who was only younger than me by a year. I took after my mother. My sister, though, apart from my mother's looks, she got everything else from dad. Now, the thing is, my father was a horrible freaking person, even before he became a drug addict. He was an arrogant, selfish, insufferable idiot. And not only that, he also cheated on my mother multiple times while she was pregnant with me and my sister, and he also physically abused her. He was so horrible to the point that when he left, my mother said that it was the happiest day of her life. She continued raising us all by herself while my dad went to God knows where. And you know what? I've never even missed him. 18 years later, and me and my sister are all grown up. And the thing is, we've never really been that close. We fought a lot when we were younger, but it was all usual sibling fights. As we grew, we fought less and less, and we were able to coexist like all siblings do. And though I didn't express it all the time, I did love her. But here is where it all goes to pot. In my senior year of high school, I started dating one of my classmates. He just transferred during that year and said that he liked me immediately and asked me to go out with him if I was interested. I give the guy a chance. It goes extremely well and just two months later, we were officially dating. He was sweet. He'd treat me to lunch, take me to places and was just a great boyfriend overall. We continued to date through our first year and second year of college and he comes over to our house pretty frequently and my mum even lets him stay the night. It came to the point that he'd come over even when I wasn't there and I thought nothing of it. I was even glad that he felt so comfortable there. Until one day, just a month before our anniversary, I texted him that I'd be home later than usual because I still had something to do in school. I was already in my third year and I was busier than ever before. Since we usually go home together, he asked me what time do I think I'll be home? And I said, probably after dinner, so he can pick me up then. He says, okay. Fortunately though, I managed to finish earlier than I thought. And instead of texting him to pick me up, I decided to surprise him by going to his house since it's been a while since we spent time together and I missed him. When I got there, his sister, whom I was very close with, was visibly confused and immediately asked me what I was doing there. I told her that I was there to see her brother and she becomes even more confused, saying... He told me he was going to your house to see you though. He left hours ago. This time, I'm the one who's confused. So I quickly turn around and went home. Now, thankfully our houses are only 15 minutes apart. So I got there quickly. The next 20 minutes were like hell. I come home to find his bike outside. The house was dark and I tried my bestest to go inside as quietly as I could. By the time I got upstairs, I hear it. Moans, female and male. The male one sounding particularly like my boyfriend. Tears immediately flood my eyes. I didn't even need to see to know it was him. My boyfriend of almost three years screwing my sister. My feet suddenly had a mind of their own and I yanked the door open. I was seething at this point. This dog was riding him like a mechanical bull. I stood there as my now ex pushes her off of him, shocked as he puts his clothes back on in light speed and starts spewing excuses. I wasn't listening at all. I was sobbing so much I couldn't breathe. 
The butthole follows me all the way downstairs and I yell at him that if he doesn't leave that instant, I tell his entire family. He leaves and I was left with my sister. I couldn't even look at her. I stayed downstairs, calming myself down until my mum came home from work. She immediately notices that something is wrong, but I don't tell her yet. Dinner starts and I felt like crying again. And you know what's even worse? When my sister came down and sat just across from me, I saw no hint of remorse or guilt on her face. Absolutely none. I felt sick. I wanted to vomit. And I swear that at some point during dinner, the evil dog even smirked. A week goes by and I don't say anything. I was so hurt. My ex wasn't saying anything too. No phone calls, texts, nothing. And neither did my sister. Not a single freaking sorry. I felt so defeated. I was crying multiple times a day and I couldn't even focus in school. One day I finally snap and I tell my mother everything. She was extremely disappointed. She scolds my sister, but even she didn't really seem to care. And then suddenly I remembered. My ex had told me his passwords. He told me early in our relationship and I never bothered to open because I was never the type to go through my SO's messages. I trusted the guy and this is what I get. Anyway, I managed to open his messenger account and there I see it hundreds of messages between him and my sister i felt weak in the knees it had been going on for almost four months i took screenshots it turns out they'd been going out while i was still at school all three of us were from different schools my sister couldn't get into mine because her grades were too low and so were my boyfriends my pain quickly turned into anger and i wanted nothing more than to make them both pay i couldn't stomach the sight of my sister The fact that she'd go behind my back like that over some guy made me freaking sick. We were supposed to always be there for each other. After a month, I asked my mother if I could move out and live with my aunt for a while because I just couldn't take it anymore. She was sad, but she understood. I felt so sorry for her. She held my sister accountable for what she did, but at the end of the day, it was still her other daughter, so she couldn't completely turn her back on her. I didn't want to give her the burden of having to choose, so I did instead. So I move out and live with my aunt and I promise to keep in touch. The next six months were basically me putting my stuff back together. I became a working student and did some freelance work to earn some money. And as I started to earn more, I dropped out of school completely and became a full-time freelancer. As the months went by, I'd earn more and more and I had more than enough money to spend for myself. And from then on, I started to send money to my mum monthly. One day I got curious and decided to check on my sister and ex. When I unblocked them, I regretted it instantly. Those buttholes were still together and my sister was even flaunting their relationship on Instagram. Suddenly, it was as if no time had passed by at all and I was angry yet again. I scrolled through more pictures and it was obvious that my sister was completely in love with him. Then I acted on anger. I sent the screenshots I took from before and sent them to our cousins, telling them everything. They all ended up hating her. And then I sent it to my ex's sister and also told her everything. She punched him, told their parents, and a day later, I received a text from them apologizing on behalf of their son. It made me feel slightly better. A week later, my mum asked me to come home to spend the weekend. I decided to say yes this time. I stopped by a mall on the way to get a gift for her and guess who I see? My ex-boyfriend with a girl who wasn't my sister holding hands. I laugh hard the urge to take out my phone and take a picture and send it to my sister was so strong but i stopped myself it wouldn't be painful enough so i hide where he can't see me 
and I follow them. After about an hour, she goes to the bathroom. I follow her in there. I approach her when she comes out of the cubicle, and I say, Is the guy you're with your boyfriend? She looks a little bit scared and confused, but answers, Yes, nonetheless. I quickly tell her that the same guy is currently dating my sister and even showed her some pictures. The girl was completely horrified. She said she had no idea that he was seeing someone else, and I fought the urge to laugh. I tell her to get rid of him quickly, and I'll tell her everything she needed to know. But I also asked her not to dump him just yet. So she makes up some excuse about an emergency at home and they go their separate ways for the day. We meet up at a coffee shop close to the mall afterwards and there I spilt everything, including all the details about the cheating. When I'd finished, she looked so mad, almost as if it had happened to her. And then she goes on to reveal that a longtime boyfriend of hers actually cheated on her as well. We talked some more. And as time passed by, I came to discover that the girl was actually really sweet. And I felt sorry that she became a victim of my ex too. She asked me if I was going to get revenge. And I said yes, but I needed her help. I also told her she could say no if she didn't want to, but she said she wanted to help. So I told her my plan and she was all for it. I came home that night excited. My mum seemed pleased and my sister looked a little angry. I didn't give an F though, since I had the knowledge that my ex-boyfriend, the guy she destroyed our relationship for, was on his way to destroy her. That girl and I talked for the next three weeks that I was there, and she would send me screenshots of her and my ex's convo and also pics of them together. We continued to talk even after I came back to my aunt's house, and exactly two months after we met, the plan was finally in action. It was a week before my ex and my sister's anniversary. Yes, they had an anniversary, and I was about to give her the greatest gift. By that time, my ex had confessed to the other girl about his relationship with my sister, but she told him it was okay and they could still be together because she didn't care. Little did he know, of course, her and I were basically best friends at this point and had come up with a master plan to ruin his life. I come home again and spent the week there leading up to the anniversary, the longest week of my life. The day finally comes and after my sister leaves to go to his house, I wait a few hours. Then I FaceTime his sister to ask if the two buttholes were home. She says yes, And then I send it. Dozens of pictures of my ex with the other girl and screenshots of their conversations. One where he was telling her how much he loves her and how he's planning to leave my sister for her soon. There was one where he even expressed how annoying he found my sister and that he sometimes wants to strangle her. A whole bunch of other screenshots where he insults her, calls her stupid, desperate and many more things. He also said that she was awful in bed and was way too noisy and that he'd barely touched her the past few days. Ouch. But it wasn't enough for me. The final touch was a three minute long video of my friend and my ex having sex. Yes, she gave me her full consent to send it. She was on top exactly how I found my sister and ex before and she was riding him to oblivion. But I cropped it so her face wasn't shown, but my ex's was in full view. It was hilarious. The guy was enjoying it so much and I know my sister would probably have a seizure once she watched it. And then I wait. I was still on FaceTime with his sister and after a while, I hear it. Screaming, objects being thrown, more screaming. His sister then comes upstairs to check on them and I hear everything. My sister was sobbing and what's even more screwed up is that my ex didn't even try to deny any of it and asked her to just leave. 
Her sister and I continue our FaceTime, talking some more, and she tells me how she's never actually liked my sister, and neither have their parents. They said they'd ignore her whenever she'd come by the house. She would even ask her about me sometimes, just to annoy her. After about an hour, my sister finally comes home, and I sat there, grinning like a devil as she steps into the living room, face puffy from crying. We make eye contact, and I smirked to her, and said, You deserve it before going upstairs. I don't speak to her again, and for days she refused to even leave her room. The satisfaction I felt was through the roof, and I even told my mum that I could move back in now. But it didn't end there, because my ex had gotten my sister pregnant. A huge part of me wasn't shocked, but my mum of course was disappointed. We had to tell the rest of our family, and they were all disappointed with her as well. Before she gave birth, my sister told my mum she was going to move in with my ex's family, since they have to take care of their baby, and my mum refused to let him step foot in our house again. But since our houses were really close to each other, she agreed. It was pathetic. It was obvious that she still wanted to be with him, even after everything he did, but hey, it wasn't my problem anymore. But according to my ex's sister, though, Her parents weren't too happy about the whole thing. And although my ex said he would take responsibility of his child, he did not want anything to do with my sister anymore. Freaking butthole. So I continued to live my life, working, going out, and focusing on becoming even better. It didn't take long for me to finally be happy again, and all the pain and betrayal felt like a distant memory. I reconnected with my old friends and even started dating again. I also kept in touch with that girl who helped me with my revenge. She, of course, had dumped my ex, broke up with him just the day after it all went down, and we're genuinely good friends now and meet when we can. I don't keep in touch with my sister at all, though. But according to my ex's sister, she's absolutely miserable because she had to drop out of school and my ex barely spoke to her and would always be gone, sometimes for days, and even brought home girls on multiple occasions, having sex with them in the same house that my pregnant sister was in. Oh, wow. Oh, and to top it all off, he also wasn't there when she gave birth. What a man, guys. Honestly, I didn't feel sorry for her at all, since she chose to stay with him. But I did feel sorry for the kid for having those two buttholes as his parents. They'd go to our house at least three times a week to see my mum, and my sister would completely ignore my existence. Guess what? That dog still hasn't apologized. I didn't really care at that point, so I just ignored it. But one time, I kindly offered to buy her baby some clothes, and she fixed me with the nastiest look before saying, We don't need your freaking money. I was appalled, and then I was angry again. All right then, if that's how she wanted to play. Now, funnily enough, I run into my ex at a bar just a couple of days later. He looks freaking terrible, and I questioned what I even saw in him. He sees me and then actually looks happy. I, on the other hand, no longer felt anything to him. Only disgust, of course. He tries to make conversation, telling me I looked great and even apologizes. I was shocked, but his apology didn't really mean anything to me anymore. Later that night, I received a bunch of messages from him. He was apologizing again and then went on to say how much he regrets cheating on me before begging for another chance and swears that this time things would be different and that he was gonna change for me. I laughed so hard I fell off my bed. The ocean would dry up before I even think about taking his butt back. But since my sister had angered me once again and I was feeling a little petty, I sent her the screenshots of those messages with the caption, 
this your baby daddy? I knew that she was still in love with him, even after everything. And I knew that it would hurt her to see how he's willing to change for me, but not for her, the mother of his dang child. He barely even gave her money for the kid. It was only his parents and my mum who supported her financially. My sister blocked me. LMFAO. And no, I didn't ever take my ex back. Last I heard, he actually started using drugs. So, fast forward to now. I continue to thrive while she continues to be miserable. We recently had a family reunion and at one point she said to our relatives that she's having a hard time and one of her cousins looks at her dead in the eye and says, well maybe if you hadn't screwed your sister's boyfriend, you wouldn't be in this position. She was absolutely dumbfounded. Tears in her eyes and I almost choked on my wine trying to stop laughing. I guess she probably didn't think they knew. Well, now she does, and they all didn't bother to hide how much they despised her. She had no one on her side and was considered the disappointment of the family. But she's only got herself to blame. By the way, if anyone gets confused why we still lived with our parents during college, I am Filipina, and this happened in the Philippines. Here, we don't move out until we have kids, and sometimes not even then. And look, if some people don't believe me, that's fine. Honestly, I understand. I actually wish it was fake, truly. This particular event has caused so much stress on our entire family, but I understand. About the girl who helped me, I was actually really shocked myself with how willing she was to participate. There definitely have been times where I was scared she would out me to my ex and sister, but I guess it all just reminded her of the situation with her old ex, and she also seemed mad about being made into a side chick. I didn't expect that she'd send the video, of course. I asked her so many times if she was absolutely sure. My ex was a horrible person, but he was attractive. And he was good in bed as much as I hate to admit. She basically used him for sex, and I don't find anything wrong with that. He deserved it. And to be honest, I would have done the same if it was the other way around. I get why it might seem made up, but I've literally witnessed much crazier stuff happen. I had a friend who got sent a video of her then boyfriend and another girl having sex as well. The girl actually sent it because she wanted the boyfriend to herself. It happens more frequently than one might think. Some females can be messy as anything these days. But again, I get why it might not seem believable. Ultimately, believe what you want. It's not like it would affect any of us negatively. What's done is done. Have a good day. Now, guys, where to even begin with this story? I'm I'm absolutely dumbfounded. Uh, I cannot believe what I've just read. That was amazing. And I get what OP's saying. Yeah, maybe it does sound unbelievable. But ultimately, who cares? There's no real reason to lie. It's just a little subreddit on the internet. And uh, from the comments, it does seem very likely that this did happen. I know it sounds crazy, but wow, she's answering the comments in some mental detail. I'm not going to go into it, but this story is almost definitely true, I'd say. I mean, listen, if you're watching on YouTube, get in the comments. Let me know what you think. Does this story even need to be true? Does it really matter? I was thoroughly entertained throughout. Wow. Like, I don't even know what you call this. It's more than a love triangle. It's like a love pentagon. Unbelievable. It's just crazy that your sister got pregnant as well in all of this and didn't even realize that other members of the family knew about it. And oh, the video as well. Like, imagine receiving that video. <laughs> It just begs belief. It really does. I mean, look, she was the one who obviously brought this upon herself, but I actually do feel kind of bad. 5% of me 
feels bad for her because yeah look, it's probably one of the worst things you can do but now she's got a kid and everyone hates her like oh it's not the best situation to be in for the rest of your life look I get it. You're all saying, you're all shouting at me. She deserves it. I agree with you. But wow, think of the pain and misery that, she, well, she's caused that onto herself, of course, but just think of the pain and misery. It's a lot. Fantastic revenge, I gotta say. Love that you got another side chick involved. So good. So good. And yeah, this guy obviously deserved it. Just complete and utter bad. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My sister doesn't want to free her live-in unpaid maid, so I got her fired. Obligatory backstory. Many of you have probably heard of families with strong hierarchy structure, normally with the eldest in the family having the most influence. Now, my family is one of those, except that my parents are drug addict deadbeats. So my eldest sister, who is 31, who will be the entitled mother of this story and will be referenced as such, raised all five of us. She is the boss of the family. She says jump, everyone says how high. The focal point of the story is my youngest sister, who I'll call little sister. She's 20 years old. Most of us have a handful or at least a couple of memories with our mother before she lost her mind, except for little sister. For her, our oldest sister is the only mum she ever had. And our oldest sister knows how to take advantage of that. All of us noped out of our parents' house as soon as we turned 18 except for our older sister, who waited until little sister and our brother were raised and in their mid-teens to move across the country and soon found jobs and accommodations for all of us to move to the same state as her. Little sister begged for years to move in with her, but entitled mother, again, that is the 31-year-old older sister, always denied, saying that somebody had to take care of our father and because she and her new husband needed privacy and space. That was until entitled mother got pregnant, She got little sister to move in with her and she's been there for the past two and a half years helping out. Now to the story. Entitled father's family, I assume that is entitled mother's husband, wanted to visit for a couple of weeks. So little sister had to stay with me for that time so that they could use her room. It's worth noting that entitled mother didn't ask or let me know about it. She just dropped our little sister off. One day, she saw me studying for my master's degree and said something about how she always wanted to go to college and this is how it went. So why don't you, I said. Oh, well, I talked to entitled mother about it, but she said not everyone is the college type and that I wouldn't have time to work, study and take care of niece at the same time. And it's expensive. Most people work and study at the same time and she can put niece in a daycare. I'm sure it wouldn't be that much more expensive than what she's already paying you. But she doesn't pay me. She already gives me food and shelter. And if I need money, I just take a shift at work. And this is how I learned that my sister was not only babysitting, but also cleaning the entire house for free every day. She was only able to work eight hours per week at her normal job because she was too busy taking care of our niece. Long story short, it took me weeks to convince her to apply to community college and then more weeks on the actual process. But she finally got confirmation that she would start in September. 
all of that was behind entitled mother's back she was planning on telling everyone the next time we all got together which would be independence day but before that could happen entitled mother got everyone together at her house to announce that she was pregnant little sister starts crying at this point because now she wouldn't be allowed to go to college entitled mother gets deeply hurt and offended that she planned this behind her back i butt in our other siblings butt in it's just generally a mess how could you do this to me who's going to take care of the babies i can't believe you'd be so selfish if you like op so much go and stay with her these were all some of the things that she said she kicked me and little sister out who stayed with me until they made the peace both of our siblings reached out one to say that i should have minded my own business and the other to tell me she was on my side but wouldn't say anything after that little sister moved back with her and didn't go to college but they agreed she'd get paid six dollars an hour and would be allowed to take more shifts at her normal job until the baby is born and then go to real college after the child turns one year old look i know it's messed up but all of them especially little sister worship entitled mother like a god i waited a year to act on my revenge making sure my sister had saved enough money to live on her own so here we go the revenge first what i did was research the legality of paying a homeless person in food and shelter in the us and depending on the state it's legal as long as you do not cross the line and the person becomes an employee For example, you can give the person a list of tasks you want done. However, you cannot say that it has to be done in a certain amount of time. You also cannot request someone to be somewhere at a certain time. You can ask, but not demand on the time. It comes down to a choice of words. Also, you have to comply with rental laws. If your local law said that you must give 30 days notice to a tenant, then you must give 30 days notice to this person as well. Now, I had proof of all of the situations. Several screenshots of entitled mother admitting to not paying and not allowing little sister to move out or get a job and also admitting to kicking her out whenever she wanted. All this technicality seemed worthless since nobody would sue her, but that didn't matter. I just wanted to make sure that her boss knew that if she were to be sued, it would be a sure case. Now, Entitled Mother works for a civil rights attorney's office, so discovering she has a literal modern-day slave would probably get her fired. I could have just created a burner email and sent it all to her boss, but then they would explain to her why she's getting fired and that would get me and little sister in trouble. So what did I do? Well, Entitled Mother was always complaining about one of the bosses on her job that hated her and had tried to get her fired for ages. I went to the company sites, found the woman. Thankfully, she was the only Ashley that worked there, found her on Instagram and on Facebook. There, she had a post tagging her yoga studio. I went to said studio and created my membership. It took a few weeks of trial and error trying to find exactly what class Ashley belonged to, but I finally found her. Then I went to yoga class every Tuesday and Friday at 8am for months, slowly building a friendship with Ashley. Around three months in, she asked to follow me on Instagram and I was already prepared for this scenario, having deleted the few pictures I had with Entitled Mother. After nine months, when our friendship was a strong baby, I brought up the crazy coincidence that I found out she worked with Entitled Mother, my older sister. Before things could get awkward, I said, it's ironic that she works for civil rights, considering, you know, everything. That got Ashley's attention and I told her everything. I showed her every screenshot. I could practically see her eyes shining. 
they have their own history that's not important to the story all you need to know is entitled mother is a female dog and ashley actually wants revenge as much as i do i told her about little sister's situation and why entitled mother couldn't ever know about this this is why being friends with ashley was so important if i just sent her the proof and explained the situation they probably would have just ignored it since this was a very legitimate reason to fire her and they wouldn't risk firing her for a minor mistake and maybe getting sued i sent her the files with her promise that entitled mother wouldn't hear about this but she needed them to convince the other owner who was the reason why she wasn't fired yet two months later entitled mother was fired for minor mistakes lateness and general bad productivity a small victory sure but i loved coming to visit her during the four months she was unemployed she looked so tired and miserable all the time since she had no money to pay for a babysitter and little sister is away at college so she actually had to take care of her own children moral of the story check on your siblings they might be living in a modern slavery arrangement i mean honestly that is genuinely mind-blowing to me forcing your youngest sister who you know worships you because of you know how amazing you might have been earlier in life and that is fair enough fair play to you for raising your other four siblings that's pretty impressive stuff but forget that that's done now brainwashing her forcing her to work for you for free that's crazy you know ruining her hopes and dreams of going to college and living her own life forcing her to stay and work for you in your house unbelievable how could you do that to another sibling of yours all i can say is thank god op found out and is involved in this family and did something about it unbelievable that that sort of stuff happens in this modern day the only thing that i'm a little bit confused by is that you did op let the little sister go back to your older sister's house for a period of time now maybe it's easier said than done but surely you shouldn't have done that because you never know what might have happened there she's already exploiting her to an unbelievable extent could she have gone one step further like you never know so that's the only thing i'm a little a bit like mm, not sure about that the rest of it yeah he did amazingly great revenge as well very important as you say to keep it secret the reason for her firing so that she didn't realize it was your work and that meant that your little sister could get out okay good stuff don't want me to work my notice okay i won't work during my notice i was working in an organization that was super toxic so much so that we were a revolving door most employees stayed only for a few months to counter this, our management put a three months notice into everyone's contract, including the existing employees. Now that's not strictly illegal where this happened, but it is very unusual. I believe the idea behind that was to make it harder for the employees to find a job outside as potential employers didn't usually want to wait for three months. However, this didn't work as most people simply quit and then waited for a month or two before starting their job hunts. I was there for almost four years. I needed the money, so I put up with whatever abusive stuff was thrown at me. My boss was a guy we'll call Vince, not his actual name. Now, Vince was not particularly good, but he sometimes respects the fact that I was the most tenured grunt in this organization. Do note that after about two years, I was doing a lot of additional work in addition to my official responsibilities, primarily because I was the only one who knew how to do those. Everyone else had already left. This is important for later. Enter Rajesh, also not actual name. Rajesh was poached from a somewhat infamous company and was literally flown in from a different continent. He was brought in to strategically improve our division. This was quite strange given that our division generated most profits. Within months, Rajesh made the environment even more toxic. He pulled Vince's team under him and got Vince fired and he actively encouraged us grunts to spy on each other. Rajesh also had it out for me from day one 
until today i don't know why he started making my life much harder than the others and this culminated in him taking me aside and telling me that i was not pulling my weight now at this point i was doing quite well in the organization and i've been doing a lot of additional work critical to our business since only i knew certain systems and processes see high attrition above so i was quite angry and i started looking out for something new yeah i wasn't brave enough to quit and start looking but i was looking nonetheless fortunately i was able to find a job that was willing to wait the three months so it was my turn to take rajesh aside and tell him i quit boy rajesh was fuming he went from denial you can't quit to negotiation what if i give you a raise at the year end before acceptance thus i was serving my notice and working away like an honest bee my usual work and the additional work At this point, I was called in by HR and told that Rajesh wanted me gone. The insane part was that they wanted me to pay the company for the two and a half months shortfall in notice. I obviously refused, then went back and checked the initial contract. It turns out that a notice of less than three months could only happen through mutual consent. And the initiating party, the company if they wanted me gone sooner, or me if I wanted to leave earlier had to compensate the other party for the shortfall. So the next day, I stopped doing almost all of my work. I logged in and logged out my hours and did nothing. I stopped doing any additional work that I've been doing and started taking it really, really slow on my primary job responsibilities. Since no one else understood the details of what I did, I knew it would be very hard for Rajesh or HR to prove that I was doing any of this on purpose. Then I sat back with my popcorn. Soon there was a complete meltdown all around. Rajesh would pull me into meetings and scream and try to bully me and I'd say nothing but smirk in his face. Next, they tried to have someone else learn the additional work I used to do from me so that they could do what I did. Remember I said earlier how I was the only one who knew some of the old systems and processes? Well, now I claimed I didn't really remember any of them. So obviously there could be no handover. Rajesh could do nothing as none of this had been my responsibility or part of my contract since the leadership had been only too happy to see me to do this for free. Soon my workplace turned into a dumpster fire. The HR and Rajesh smartened up and offered to buy out my notice if I cooperated and helped transition my work. I refused. Then, to twist the knife further, I started having meetings with fellow grunts. Remember, everyone was always a newbie and encouraging them to leave as well. Indirectly, that is. Nothing that could implicate me. HR tried to get me to leave twice more, but I ended up serving the full three months. Remember, the mutual consent parts. Honestly, it's like the company forgot that it was made up of people and employees. Because when the people go, the company's nothing. Why do I see so many stories like this? It bemuses me every time and I will never understand it. Oh, wow. I've got one comment here that says, what happened when you left? Did Rajesh get fired? And OP has replied, no. He ran the division to the ground and got everyone laid off, then left for greener pastures. Last I heard... He was doing very well for himself. That just shows what kind of bloke he is. Embarrassing. Like sacking everyone else off. Using everyone else to just, you know, do better for yourself. Shambles of a bloke. Disgusting. Good on you for not just looking after yourself, by the way, but also telling brand new employees that this is not a good place to work at. You need to be quitting. Because, you know... Yeah, it's all well and good. You doing well out of this. But what about the future employees of this horrific company? They would have been screwed without your advice. So, uh, yeah. Selfless. I love it. Good stuff. Rajesh, you disgust me. You really do. Taken from my husband. He killed someone after that said someone did something worse. 
Before I post, I want to be honest that I'm not the one who did this. My husband did this many years ago. In fact, he hid this from me. And if it wasn't for my mother-in-law, I would never have known it happened. It's going to be long and complicated, and I'm going to be fully truthful about these events. So, I'm a 36-year-old woman and my husband is 38. We have two kids together, both under 11. I'm originally from India and my husband is from Pakistan. These are important details. I know it's sensitive. I met him when I was 21. He was in India for studies. That's what he told me. His family is influential and wealthy in Pakistan and I came from an average Brahmin family. I was Hindu and converted to Islam after my marriage with my husband. We became friends quickly after we met and two years later, we were married. We eventually moved to Pakistan. I had to cut off my side of my family after they disowned me for marrying a Muslim. My husband's family has always been understanding and supportive, however. They even allowed me to practice my faith freely and never pressurized me into anything. It was only after we had kids that I decided to convert. So, nine years ago, we decided to move to Canada. My husband has a lot of relatives here. A few months back, my brother, ex-brother, reached out to me and basically let me know our dad isn't in a great condition. Heart attack. That he needed money and if I could arrange money, divorce my husband and leave my kids, they would accept me back. I told him that wasn't possible. My husband actually helped them and sent money without my knowledge with a note that even though they don't accept my husband as their son-in-law, he respects my family and wishes my father a speedy recovery. Our bond deepened over time. Our marriage is literally in its best stages now. We've been doing great financially and emotionally. Our kids are very attached to my husband's side of the family and his mother visited us all the way from Pakistan in February. So now is where the trouble begins. My mother-in-law and I have been very close. She considers me as her daughter. Now, when we were talking back in February, she blurted out that if her daughter had been alive, she would have been my age. It was strange. I never knew she had a daughter or that my husband had a sister. I asked her about it and she looked surprised. She asked me if my husband told me and I said no. Things get awkward and then she reveals that she had a daughter who would have been my age if she was alive. She then told me when her daughter was 17, she was brutally assaulted and burned alive while returning from her school. This incident destroyed my husband as he loved his sister and he moved out for five days immediately without telling anyone. My mother-in-law and father-in-law were devastated, of course, and did everything to then search for their son and also found out who the assaulter was. Two weeks after my husband came back, the police come and arrest him. It turns out the assaulter had been in turn brutally murdered. It was really, really, really brutal. His entire face was disfigured, penis chopped and hands cut off. His heart was carved out. Just hearing about the details sent goosebumps in my body. I literally had to adjust my position and ask her if she was being entirely honest and she told me she was. As her daughter was burned, there was no way to get evidence to find the killer but my husband somehow tracked down the murderer. It turns out the guy who assaulted his sister was already a criminal and had numerous assault cases against him. He was a serial assaulter. My mother-in-law then described this as the darkest period of her life. The family was literally shattered at this point. 
She told me her father-in-law my husband's grandfather was a politician And they had to spend a good amount of money and use a lot of connections to close down this case legally It also received media attention So it was getting big and the family's reputation was on the line alongside my husband's life It took eight months to close the case and my husband had to leave for india for education to be safe It all somehow made sense, but I was still shell-shocked My husband has never been the violent type. I had no idea how this happened or why my husband hid this crucial thing from me It's awful. The entire day my head was spinning I confronted him that night and he confirmed it happened. He wants to forget it. He explained it in a broader way He knew who this guy was because a couple of days before this incident a similar one took place and my husband learned about it in a newspaper He tried to warn his parents to allow him to escort his sister long story short school was far away They had two cars and both were in use, but he was assured it was all right When he got the news he went to his friends and they tracked the guy down He said his friends helped but it was ultimately him who did the final act He doesn't know why he did it, but the rage was too much He told me the guy cried and begged but my husband told him this is what his victims did too But he hadn't listened why should he? He also told me that the only reason police found out about my husband was because of the knife Which he forgot to rub his fingerprints from and a woman saw him pulling a man to his place during our entire talk He was calm and collected. He didn't deflect but was truthful to all of my questions He even told me the justice system is screwed everywhere and that victims do not get justice His only regret is he wasn't able to show his sister what he did to her assaulter It's been two months since he told me this. I'm going to be blunt. I love my husband But knowing all this has me rethinking everything. It isn't something you get to know and be okay to accept It's different. My husband is a loving and humble soul. He's generous. We do charity He also feeds homeless people once a week and his family never ever forced anything on me and treated me as their own I never saw him as violent. It's as if the man who did the events that were described and the husband that I know are two different people My husband said therapy tremendously helped him grow He's also trying to get me into therapy because it came as a shock for me. This happened in pakistan We all know that the justice system is screwed out there There are some more details which i've rubbed off because that might track our identity When I posted this same story in some other subreddits Everyone reached out to me saying my husband is a saint and I agree this man is my everything The fact that he never disrespected me treated my father says a lot and I can't ever repay him back a quick note to everyone I'm open to questions, but there are a few questions I would like to avoid as they might hamper our security There are also a few questions that I have for my husband too But i'm afraid to ask because it will open past trauma Wow, never before I don't think have I been as conflicted as to my opinions on a story than this one On the one hand you cannot argue with the fact that what your husband has done is truly terrible It's obviously illegal. He's killed someone. That's a fact However with the context of knowing exactly what this man did to your husband's sister Does that then in part legitimize what your husband did? It's such a tough one. I'm not in entirely sure what i would say is that your husband did the world a favor now look it's up to you to decide whether you think what he did was too far or not but for me someone like that is just rotting the earth and needs to go and i'm not advocating murder here but i am saying knowing that your husband will forever have your back and is a fierce protector of his family i don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing i crushed my ex-wife's hopes after she cheated on me 
A bit of background. I'm a 36-year-old male as of now. I've altered the names of the characters in this story. So, we've got Rebecca, my ex-wife, who is now 34 years old. James, my college buddy, and the guy Rebecca cheated on me with. Saladin, my other guy friend. And Lisa, who is Saladin's cousin. So Rebecca and I were what you call college sweethearts. We survived college and the hardships of life. We got married in our early 20s. I was 25 and she was 23. But ever since we got married, things were rocky. Not from the start, but situation-wise. I was in medical while she was an accounting major. There were things that were okay with me, but not with her. Despite being married, she acted like she was a free bird. Now, of course, she was. That's a good thing. But there was marital neglect from her side. In 2016, she joins my friend James's company as an accountant because it pays well. I was happy because, hey, he's a buddy of mine. Slowly, she started to complain about things that were in place. She didn't like where we lived, had problems with everything I did. She didn't like the food she used to. I'm a great cook and she loved my food. Our fights intensified by a margin where she'd call me names, that I'm good for nothing, she earned more than me, coming to this part later on. The drastic turn here was that Rebecca and James were hanging out with our mutual set of friends. I got word of it and it seemed off. So I confronted both of them, to which they both said it was a sudden plan and that I was out in the field. Coincidentally, it happened on the same day I was out of the city. They might have planned it beforehand, I'm not sure. Come 2017, the year my marriage blew up. So I was sure there was something because my bedroom became a freaking dead one. I was increasingly paranoid and whenever I tried to address things, I was turned down. Now look, I'm not a saint. I constantly yelled at her to tell me what was going on because there was just something off. Your favorite person rarely talks or does stuff with you and they claim it's nothing. Does that sound okay? It was also the year we were at our peak financially because our debts were paid off. My friends and I decided to open up a medical shop that provided medicine as a side venture. So one of those friends was Saladin. He proposed that we celebrate the opening at a pub. When we go there, I noticed a girl that looked exactly like Rebecca. She was dancing with another man and it was quite dark. I get a closer look and lo and behold, it's Rebecca and James dancing hand in hand. I wasn't too bothered because hey, they're friends. I was here with my colleagues and she was there with hers but it was bothering me. I decided to send her a text asking where she was. She's usually on her way home at this time. She told me she was already at home. Now that was a red flag. I told her to stop lying because I could see that she wasn't. I could clearly see that she was getting paranoid and then she told me she was on her way. I noticed she left the pub afterwards. That night, when I got back, I asked her about James. The look she gave me was as if she saw a ghost because she was not expecting that question. That look was what told me something was definitely up. If you ask your significant other about a friend, they should act normally. But the way she acted was abnormal. That night itself, I snooped on her phone. Curiosity was killing me. The password was changed, so I couldn't get in. The next day, I saw her password over her shoulder and snooped it. There were hundreds of thousands of texts right there. Countless nudes, calling him daddy, degrading comments. My wife and I had made a vow to each other that if there was ever anything we needed to explore, we'd be transparent to each other. She'd broken that vow. She confided in him how much thrill she felt that night at the pub. I went through everything. What hurt the most was that she herself told me if one of us ever got bored of the other or needed to spice things up, we would let each other know. She destroyed everything. I couldn't look at her the way I used to anymore. 
I cried that night and confronted her stupidly without any evidence the next morning. She yelled at me and stormed out after telling me I was abusive and insane. She told all her friends that I was abusive. That afternoon, they created a messenger group where everyone ganged up to troll me. When she came home that night, she told me she was in love with James and wants a divorce. I told her to talk first, but it turned into her berating me. I yelled at her and she called the cops. I was asked to spend the night elsewhere, so I went to my sister's. And when I returned the next morning, James's car was there. He'd spent the night here. There was nothing needed to explain. He was doing it on purpose. Heck, she was doing it on purpose. I went to see a lawyer. As we didn't have a prenup, she already filed a complaint about me being abusive. It wasn't looking good for me. Not once, though, did she try to apologize. Not once did she try to make amends. Our country law doesn't count infidelity as a fault. So even with that, she's entitled to half of my everything. But her complaint can sue me up. A few days after that, when I was still living with my sister... I tried contacting Rebecca, but she wouldn't reply to me. Rebecca hit me up, telling me we should get divorced. And that was it. 12 years of relationship, four years of marriage, and she ends it with a text. I was freaking convinced that James was taking my place. She handed me the divorce papers. Everyone from our friend circle was convinced that I was a freaking abuser and James was her savior. That she did the right thing to cheat on me. We were officially divorced during the start of 2018. She was already dating James openly during our divorce. He was her life. I lost my job, my house, my reputation in her little affair. I had to change the city I lived in, move someplace else to restart again. My pal Saladin helped me massively in that fresh start. He got me a decent paying job that was nowhere like my previous one, but it was better than the rest. We became close buddies while I was working to earn back what I once had dating life was over for me i just couldn't trust anyone it was a complete non-contact between me and rebecca the last i heard she moved in with james and they were doing great cue the revenge at the end of 2020 my life was actually blowing up covid helped our cause with broken backs but filled our pockets our pharmacy venture turned huge so i was able to make a lot of money i met a friend of mine from whom i got a tip that james and rebecca were done James had cheated on her and left her. But Rebecca had a child with James. He was absent since birth, so he didn't sign the birth certificate. So Rebecca is raising that child as a single parent. She tried dating, but she wasn't over me or James. The audacity. Part of me was happy, but gosh, I really missed her. I sent her an email asking how she was doing. She wasn't expecting to hear from me. We exchanged mails and reconnected. Our first meeting was in 2021 after several years and she looked awful. She gained weight, lost the charm and looked utterly exhausted all the time. Frankly, just her look made my blood boil and triggered me, but I also wanted to take my revenge on her. Life had already done that on my part, but hey, I'm a butthole. I wasn't done with her. She told me about James and reopened the earlier wounds. I got my closure, which made me feel a bit better, I guess. She said she was sorry. She wasn't thinking straight. What was she doing? James had poisoned her mind against me. I told her I would forgive her if she comes clean to everyone and clears my name. To be fair, she did that. Losing a lot of friends, but she deserved that. My name was clean. She wanted us to date again. Clear words made me raise that butthole James's child. I told her I would agree to it, but we needed to date and marry first. 
Only then would I legally adopt her child. That little guy is adorable and I had taken a liking to him. Now guys, you're probably wondering, where's the revenge in all this? Well, here is the truth though. I was already seeing someone. It's pretty safe to say I was cheating on that woman with Rebecca. She was a client of mine from a different country. We were in a long distance relationship. Rebecca and I were living in different cities, so I never moved in with her. But I played it well, saying I needed to travel for business. So, in reality, I was only getting Rebecca's hopes up to then crush her like she crushed me. We were getting intimate, but condoms were used. Rebecca felt that she'd found love again. I pushed her to therapy to get her to be normal again. Everyone was commenting how she was getting more happy with me. She'd praise and then say sorry, do little things for me that she used to when we were married happily. Trust me when I say, I did have a lot of emotions attached to this woman. I actually considered the revenge, thinking if it was a good thing to break her heart. She could be traumatized for life. But she had never thought of my heart when we were married. So why should I think of hers? Her birthday was coming up last year, October. Lockdown was eased and my someone, her name's Lisa, was in my city. For the birthday gift, I grabbed Rebecca for ring shopping. She picked out her favorite ring and got it wrapped. She was elated because of that. That night, she came up to me, crying that she was sorry for ever hurting me. She looked genuinely remorseful, but I had no feelings for her except indifference. Lisa was Saladin's cousin. I'd already told her everything beforehand. Now, she was against my revenge idea, but I managed to convince her somehow. She was uncomfortable with it, but understood that I needed to go through with it. So, on Rebecca's birthday, I drove her to our favorite spot where we were married. It's a nature's place. Lisa was already waiting there. I then introduced Lisa to Rebecca, saying that Lisa is my girlfriend. Rebecca went white and asked me what that meant. What am I then? I introduced her to Lisa as Rebecca, my ex-wife and friends with benefits. And there and then, I proposed to Lisa with that ring. Rebecca went nuts and started yelling, to which I replied, how the F can she expect us to work out when she nuked us? I'm never dating a dirtbag like her again. She asked me again and again if we meant nothing, and I told her, nope. Sleeping with her was just compensation for the pain. I got her to clear out the pain she put me through. Lisa was holding me back. She saw Rebecca was hurting. I told Rebecca that she needs to leave. She told everyone that I cheated and I was a butthole. This time, I took it as pride. Everyone had seen the dirtbag that she was. She had cheated on me and made me pay a high price for a falsified abuse. Now, she wants me to raise her kid and date her? The last we connected was in December of last year. She wrote me a letter saying how sorry she is because she can't imagine putting me through the pain that she'd already put me through. She hoped I would live a better life. The last I heard, she was completely uninterested in dating. She looks awful. As of me, me and Lisa have stopped dating. There were differences between us. Wow, the only person I feel bad for in this story is Lisa. You know, what can you say? It kind of needed her to take the shrapnel, but it is a little bit harsh on her. You can't argue with that. What I would say, though, is the rest of it is completely justified. Annoying that Lisa had to be involved, but the rest, lovely and justified. What I'm waiting for now is Lisa to post on r slash nuclear revenge. If you're out there listening, come on, give us something. It's your time to shine. I would say that in general, everyone in this story is not great. It's like, you know, you know how bad it is to, to be cheated on and, and you've just done the same thing. It's not great, is it? I don't know. Well, is it worth it? Is, it? is it fair that because she did the thing to you, you do it to her? I'm not sure. The only geezer that I love out of this is Saladin. Nice man. That's all I can say. Hi, Poo Drifter. 
Many years ago, while recovering from a brutal marriage, I was a struggling single parent, putting myself through grad school on a small teaching associate stipend. I was able to rent a modest apartment within walking distance of the urban campus. It was part of a series of small 100-year-old brick townhouses, which I imagine were very nice in their day. Over the years, as old buildings do, it had settled, and the doors and windows were askew enough to be drafty. In the snowy winter, we applied plenty of shrink-wrap window cling. In the summer, the brick building was like an oven, with no central AC, and ventilation was necessary to stave off heatstroke. Despite the hardships, we were safe and we were content. After a couple of years though, this changed when a new dude moved into a nearby apartment. Because out of the scores of parking spaces behind the apartment block, he was assigned the parking space right behind mine. The guy was apparently an avid fan of the Fast and Furious franchise, having made various mods to his car and a vanity plate reading Drifter. He spent all of his free time working on this stupid car. But the idiot had clearly neglected the car's actual engine and exhaust system because in order to drive the thing, he had to warm it up for 10 to 15 minutes before driving off. Every single time. And it wasn't a regular car exhaust. It was billowing and extra rich and smelled like the gasoline wasn't fully burning off. As I mentioned in the beginning, the apartment was old and drafty. So every time he decided to drive his car, sometimes several times a day, he would first let it billow clouds of noxious exhaust fumes into nearby apartments and right into my four-year-old's bedroom. I tried everything to keep the fumes out, but to no avail. My child and I both fell ill every time. This was hurting my kid. I couldn't afford to move and I was out of ideas. Seeing that he was outside working on his car again, but without giving too many details about myself, I approached the guy and explained that the fumes were filling my apartment and making me ill and I politely asked if he would mind warming up his car further away from the surrounding apartments. He sneered at me and said, Well, I'm sorry, but not all of us are lucky enough to have mummy and daddy pay for their car and put them through college. I'm sorry that my car is not up to your standards, but I'm not moving it. Shocked, I walked off in a different direction than my apartment, so he wouldn't know exactly where I lived. By the time I got home, I was angry fuming. I knew that some sort of formal complaints would likely go nowhere. Besides, it would truly be stupid to be the only person to do so right before what I was going to do next. I took some time to monitor his comings and goings and plan some proper consequences to fix the problem myself. The goal, to end the daily poisoning of my apartment and danger to my child permanently. The budget, shoestring of course, because I didn't have mummy and daddy to pay for my revenge budget. Skill level, low. The problem was the engine and I had very little knowledge about how to quickly, quietly and permanently disable an engine. I didn't know how to jimmy a lock or open a lock gas cap so I wouldn't be able to get access to the engine or gas tank. And no, I wasn't about to Google instructions. Time available, minutes at most. The parking lot was a very busy place. Students came and went at all hours of the day and night and sometimes just hung out there to party or set nearby dumpsters on fire. As much as I wanted to, I couldn't just douse the car in gasoline or set it on fire because it was parked way too close to my apartment. Cosmetic damage wouldn't work. Slashing tires or breaking windows, while satisfying, could be too loud and weren't permanent. And then on reconnaissance day two, I noticed it. His car was old enough to have little triangle windows for venting in the back windows. And he kept them open at night. The answer? 
I would fight fumes with fumes. The next day, I bought a cheap Gatorade squeeze bottle and some eggs. I made a yellow soup out of egg yolks and warm water to fill up the bottle about two thirds full. Then added some of the fresh dog poo that was always available next to the sidewalk outside. I screwed the cap onto the bottle and left it in the sun outside for several days, swirling it around from time to time. I waited for the early hours of a Tuesday morning when the parking lot was the least busy and snuck up to the car. The triangle windows, of course, were open. I popped the cap up, aimed it into the car and sprayed days old, sun-baked, rotten egg and dog poop soup over every available surface of the inside of his car down the window wells into the air conditioner vents and soaking into crevices and upholstery i tossed the gatorade bottle of horror into the dumpster went back inside and went to sleep the next day was a warm one it was one of the great joys of my life to have been home that afternoon at just the right time to be startled by a man's voice screaming what the frick what the frick what the frick i ran upstairs to the window he regularly fumigated and through the blinds watched the scene unfold the dude had opened the driver's side door and repeatedly moved his head closer to sniff and then gag like he refused to believe the smell was coming from his car he opened the other door to investigate and he kept yelling what the frick before finally running off he came back a few minutes later wearing dishwashing gloves and carrying a stucco bucket full of sudsy water a sponge and a scrub brush he spent the next half hour scream growling holding his breath bobbing his head into the car and scrubbing pulling his head out to gag and scream what the frick and taking deep breaths to go back in the scrubbing and retching and screaming were increasingly interspersed with pounding on the dashboard and the roof kicking his rims and loudly vowing revenge at the sky within about 30 minutes he was surrounded by 10 other dudes standing in a wide half circle around the car some drinking beers watching the show laughing and offering pointers like king of the hill come to life it took him roughly an hour to realize that the battle had been lost the dudes yelling became hoarse and whimpery He retrieved his toolbox, removed the wrench, and started doing something new to the interior. He suddenly pulled out the entire driver's seat, walked away with it, and angrily heaved it into the dumpster. He did the same with the passenger seats. Then he took the bucket over and dumped the soapy poo soup water next to the dumpster, brought the bucket back to the car, turned it upside down, placed it where the driver's seat used to be, sat on it, and I kid you not, drove off that way i never saw the car again he never drove it back that and his pride must have been a total loss my greatest regret is that because smartphones didn't exist i have no recording of that glorious day wow some truly masterful revenge there to start off today's episode don't worry a lot more revenge to come but let's just take a second that was unbelievable i mean the image in my head right now of a man driving off in his lovely car that's been fully modded has a custom number plate etc sitting on a bucket instead of a chair it's just wonderful i've got to say if you never saw the car again and he never brought it back i guess the odds are that he just sold it for parts therefore this could not have gone better this is literally the perfect revenge you were never found the problem was solved and now you get to live in peace unbelievable what a start to today's episode i'm a team builder a few years ago i was sitting in a job interview and the hiring manager asked what do you consider the greatest accomplishment of your career 
This gave me a pause, as I've been doing the same thing for over 25 years. I let the mists of memory transport me back in time. So, we've got Dorian, the nurse manager, Kip, the program manager, and Dr. Steve, the clinical director. Yes, I had three bosses. I started on the unit as an already seasoned, jaded RN, and soon discovered that most staff who worked there were very, very young and inexperienced. Just so everyone knows, an RN is a registered nurse. For many, this was their first real job. They assumed all the weird stuff that happened every day was just normal for the workplace. Dorian had decreed that no one was allowed to write incident reports for med errors or safety issues because it makes me look bad in the safety huddle. Non-clinical staff were allowed to pass meds. Schedule changes happen without notice. Additionally, the department was easily the most toxic I've ever worked in with various cliques at constant war with one another. I could go on and on. The troubles began one day when I opened my email to a message from Dorian, which stated very curtly that I was being investigated for an incident which had happened on the unit, that I was to meet with HR to discuss it and for possible disciplinary action. I was not to discuss the incident with anyone. No date was given, no medical record number, no indication what the issue could be. I replied that I would need the above information. I'd speak with my union rep and meet at a time convenient for me. Dorian declined to give the information, so I declined to meet with him. I began receiving emails almost daily, each more threatening than the last. I printed them all. I contacted my sister, who is an employment attorney. I tried to not start shaking whenever I had to check my email. I was keenly aware that this is Intimidation 101, but it's remarkably effective even when you know that. Because I'm not a direction follower, I was soon discussing this in the break room. And before I knew it, had been approached by three other women who had all received the same email on the same day. Comparison showed the emails being sent about a minute apart. Now we didn't work the same shifts nor the same days, so we agreed to call in the union rep and refused to meet with HR. Dorian continued to escalate, including cornering us in the hall, stepping in chest to chest and trying to stare us down. He was a very big guy. Before long, we were speaking to more and more women, and it came to light that Dorian had a habit of targeting them with this exact email, followed by others that were more and more threatening until the person would finally meet with HR, get written up for something vague, and then be forced to sign a non-disclosure or no retaliation agreement. This time, it seemed that he had simply picked the wrong four women because we were not having it. I can't tell you how much time at work began to be spent with people crying while recounting their stories. None had thought to call in the union rep. They didn't even know their Weingarten rights. We began to plot. We had limited time, and our company has a long and unglamorous history of protecting people like this. Before long, the entire team was united against the common enemy. LGBTQ staff wrote up statements, backed with witnesses, of grossly homophobic comments, often in the presence of patients. Staff who were immigrants made statements about racial slurs. A staff member who was incredibly petty and vindictive had been compiling a dossier on every perceived policy violation and wrongdoing on Dorian's part since his hiring date and he prepped it for presentation to HR. Now, the graveyard shift, which was made up entirely of huge men, said, Obviously, Dorian isn't trying to flex on us, but we want to help. So, they spent a couple of nights cruising Dorian's social media posts and capturing screenshots of homo, trans, xenophobic, and misogynistic contents. Worried that they hadn't done enough, the night staff paid for a cheap background check, and what a score. 
a DUI, failure to appear, hit and run, domestic violence, assault with a deadly weapon. Did the company not do a background check? What the frick? Finally, two women came forward with complaints of sexual harassment. One incident had even occurred in the presence of the assistant manager and one was documented in an email. We were ready. We flooded HR with meeting requests and our union rep coordinated the assault so that on Monday we met for simple harassment and intimidation. I met first and HR seemed unimpressed by my complaints. Tuesday, all LGBTQ and staff subjected to racial slurs made their formal complaints. They said that the HR lady looked tired. Wednesday started with the background check, moved into the minutiae of policy violation, and culminated with well-documented quid pro quo sexual harassment. The union rep informed HR that the union's attorney was eager to know how to proceed. HR assured her that would not be necessary. That evening, Dorian posted a sign on his office door saying he would be away for a few days and to contact Kip or Dr. Steve if we needed anything. The graveyard shifts reported that over the weekend, housekeeping came and removed everything from Dorian's office, except his name tag, which the night staff took as a trophy. On Monday at shift change, the CNO, COO and HR met with the team and informed us that effective immediately, Dorian was no longer employed by the hospital. We all sat silently and politely until they exited the unit. When a loud and spontaneous cheer went up, people were hugging each other and cry laughing, high fives all around. The aftermath. To the best of my knowledge, Dorian never worked as an RN again. Frankly, I don't care though. Kip was fired three days later for having been aware of all that was going on and turning a blind eye, and because apparently he'd been touching women on the unit for a couple of years. I hadn't been aware of that, but it came out in the HR meetings. Dr. Steve was also fired for sexual harassment. The unit then hired an old manager of mine who had a long and well-documented history of, you guessed it, sexual harassment. I quit within days of him being offered the job. The department's foray into getting along crumbled. Most of the staff have moved on to other jobs where they seem much happier. So what do you consider the greatest accomplishment of your career? I sat up straight, smiled, and said, I took a very fractured team and brought them together to achieve a common goal. I like to think I'm really good at team building. Well, that was just a brilliant story. That's got to be hands down one of the best interview answers I've ever seen. Imagine having that story to fall back on in an interview. So employable. Great answer. I've got to say, Dorian and people like him, just a disgrace society. I don't even get it. Like, what do you gain from intimidating women? I don't know, maybe some sort of power in your own mind. It's just disgusting. Don't understand it. Never will. But hey, it's a shame that people like Dorian and others in that same office still exist. And what is absolutely ridiculous is that even after this monumental effort from pretty much all the staff, including yourself, of course, OP at the forefront of it all, at this hospital, they get fired, sure, great, but then they get other people in to do their jobs who are exactly like them. So no progress has been made, and ultimately, all staff members have to quit. What? That is how you know that an institution like this is just rotten to the core, disgraceful. Mechanic tries to scam me, receives public embarrassment in return. I am a 26-year-old woman, and I do not look like I would know a single thing about cars. I'm five foot three with long blonde hair, soft girly appearance, and an eternal baby face that makes me look about 15 to 16 years old. I drive a rather beat up looking 2004 Avalon. My dad and brother are both mechanics. 
not my profession, but I've learned a thing or seven from them and I'm very comfortable working on cars. I'm only mentioning my appearance because it's pretty common for mechanics to assume that I'm an idiot about cars. A while back, I was pretty overwhelmed with life and didn't have a good space to do it myself, so I took my car in to get the oil changed. The place offered a free of charge head to toe inspection for any repairs that might need to be made. I knew my car was fine. I'd pretty recently changed the air filter and brake pads. The rotors had maybe 40,000 miles on them and were in great condition. New serpentine belt too. Literally, I just didn't feel like changing my oil myself. Some relevant notes. Before I went to the shop, I actually checked my air filter and it was in fact pristine. Also, I usually call my dad while I'm working on my car so we can chat so he knows what repairs or maintenance I've done and that my car is well taken care of. After they changed my oil, the guy came back with the inspection results on a clipboard and was holding my air filter. He had this grave look on his face like something was wrong. Mind you, this is a very busy place and there were lots of customers in the waiting room. He told me that we needed to go over the results because my car was about to be completely broken down and also not safe to drive if I didn't get several repairs done ASAP because these were all completely shot. The repairs he said I needed were new brake pads, new rotors, new calipers, replace serpentine and drive belts, new air filter, new compressor or my AC will not work, a heavy threat in the middle of summer in Florida, and a couple more generic things. He showed me my air filter that was filled with dead grass, a dead wasp, some dirt, and hair. Bruh, he really scoops a BS off the shop floor and put it in my new air filter to try and freak me out? The total, about $1,500 worth of work. He said it would be more expensive anywhere else, but he was willing to give you a deal. So I immediately start buying myself time by asking some basic questions that I knew he would have to explain so I could nod at him all wide eyed while I came up with a good way to respond to what he was doing. What does the serpentine belt do? Is it important? Etc. I texted my dad. I'm going to call you in a sec. Just play along. I told the guy. Oh my God, that's so scary. I can't believe I was driving around like that. Thank you so much for caring. I don't have the money, so let me call my dad real quick to see if he can help me out. I can't afford this. I then proceeded to enhance my dramatic performance by even working up a tear while I called my dad. The guy is standing there with me in front of all the customers. I put my phone on speaker and gave my dad a whole sob story about how I need money again. I'm so sorry. Can he help me? He asked what the repairs were and how much. I said, I don't know, but it sounds really bad. He says that it's dangerous, dad. I can't be without a car. What am I gonna do? Then I asked the guy to tell my dad what the repairs were. He rattles it all off and my dad is playing his part perfectly. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I'm glad you caught this so she's not in danger anymore. Little did this scammer know he was the one in danger. He hands the phone back to me and I dropped the facade and started laughing really hard. As soon as dad hears me, he started scream cackling into the phone. I said, dad, do you hear this BS? Get this. He brought me my new air filter I just put in to show me how dirty it was. He pulled trash off the floor or something and rubbed it on there. Dad and I continued to crack up. The audience in the waiting room was also cracking up. Scammy McCanny was beat red and completely at a loss for words. 
head down and some stuttering was his response. I handed him my air filter and told him to go vacuum it out and to make sure to let me see it before he put it back in. I sat and watched him put it back once it was clean and also watched him pull my car out to make sure he didn't do anything horrible while I wasn't looking. I might have taken it a little far, but I really hate when mechanics take advantage of people who don't know anything about cars. So this felt like a massive win. Big props to my dad for his performance and for teaching me about cars. And there we go, a nice little fun one to start off today's episode. Nothing too dark, just some good old public embarrassment that this guy definitely deserved. OP, if you think you went too far here, let me just stop you a second. This guy was fully willing to scam you out of one and a half thousand dollars, watching you break down in front of him and beg your father because it's money you could not afford for something that didn't even need fixing. If that's not worth a little bit of public embarrassment, I don't know what is. Right then, let's get into story two of this episode. Things start getting a little bit more serious now. This is Pro Revenge. Burning Vengeance. First, some context. There's this product called Pure Cap, which is basically 100% capsaicin oil, the stuff that makes hot peppers hot. It has a Scoville rating of 500,000 units per drop, but no flavor, making it ideal for spicing up food without affecting the way it tastes. Putting enough of it, usually only a few drops, on any food can make it almost completely inedible to anyone who is not a total firemouth, i.e. pepperhead. It's available on Amazon for about 30 US dollars per two ounces, but a little goes a very long way. That's why it's sold in an eyedropper bottle. Now, here's the good part. In the early 2000s, my brother, Rick, was working in a cool center that had a break room with a fridge freezer, a microwave, and a small sink. He didn't take his own lunch often, usually leftovers from the previous night's dinner, maybe three or four times a month. But every time he did, it would get stolen. The first couple times he didn't mention it, you know, just in case it was a simple mistake and the person was too embarrassed to own up. However, the third time he remembered the military axiom, once is happenstance, Twice is coincidence, but thrice is enemy action, and reported the thefts to his supervisor, Don, and the head of human resources, Dolly, every time after. However, they said that without proof, there was nothing they could do. No cameras in the break room, and so this is where my plan hatched. One night, I made a roast beef dinner with potatoes and carrots, cooked all day in a crock pot with onion soup mix on top. Believe me, it was fork tender and delicious. I also made a nice salad to go with it and put away a complete dinner serving for my brother to have for lunch on his next shift. The next night he came home and said his lunch had been stolen again. So the next morning I made a really deluxe roast beef sandwich thickly sliced with lettuce, pickles, cheddar, and mayonnaise on an eight inch hoagie roll. So whoever was stealing would think they'd hit the jackpot two days in a row. I also loaded the roast with pure cap, like four droppers worth. That's about 30 to 40 drops on the meat alone. And I made sure it was all completely absorbed before closing the sandwich so the roast looked really juicy. I even mixed some into the mayo and put some more on the bread because bread tends to downplay the fire a bit. Rick came in about halfway through the pure cap application and asked what the heck I was doing. I looked back with an evil grin and said, oh, just making a little present, wink. 
For the lunch thief, my grin was instantly copied on his face because he was the one who'd originally told me about the stuff after he'd used it to prank a former roommate. So he knew what was going to happen. Then he went to finish getting ready for work. I could hear him chuckling the whole time. I even gave him $5 on his way out because that one sandwich shop with the green and yellow logo was only a couple blocks from his job and still had their $5 footlong promotion going on. When Rick got home that night, his grin was even bigger as he relayed the events. He was between calls only a couple hours into his shift when suddenly there's this god awful howling from the break room. Everyone who wasn't on a call right then, including Dolly, rushed in there to see the sandwich on the table with one bite taken out of it. The half chewed bite lay right next to it and Don at the sink, desperately trying to wash the capsaicin inferno out of his mouth, not knowing that water only makes it worse. Don was ostensibly friendly and reasonable, so he was well liked by his people. I guess he thought that would make some sort of difference because he pointed directly at Rick and yelled, he tried to kill me, then went back to trying to put out his mouth fire with water. Dolly picked up the bag the sandwich had been in, which clearly had Rick's name in big red letters in his handwriting. She looked at Rick. Rick looked back with a completely straight face and shrugged. So Dolly grabbed the guy by the arm and dragged him to her office with him streaming tears and snot the whole way. By this time, the water had sent the pure cap into real overdrive and Don had to just stand there and burn while Dolly and the call center's manager, Bill, dressed him down for about 15 minutes, finally ending it with his termination for theft. The guy could hardly even speak from the burning tears and runny nose that the sandwich caused. And besides that, he had no defense anyway because he'd just outed himself for stealing an employee's lunch. The company had a zero tolerance policy about that kind of thing, especially when higher ups steal from the people they manage. Rick was back at his station and on a call when Bill personally came over smiling and said that Dolly wanted to see him when he was free. Rick gave a thumbs up, knowing fully well why she wants to see him, took the call to its conclusion, and went over to Human Resources. Here is how he described the encounter. You wanted to see me, mom? Yes, I do. First, being the aggrieved party, you're not in trouble. Second, what the heck did you put in that sandwich? Actually, my brother made it. He pulls the bottle of Pure Cap out of his pocket and sets it on Dolly's desk with a smile. Dolly picks up the bottle and reads the ingredients list, which literally just says capsaicin oil, 500,000 Scoville units per drop, bursts out laughing and hands it back. There was kind of really a lot of that in the meats and the mayo and the bread, said Rick. Oh, you know what? Go ahead and take your lunch break now. And when you get back, we'll talk about making you that section supervisor. So he did. Rick still says that was the most emotionally satisfying sub sandwich he's ever had. He declined the superposition though, so they promoted a different person from that section. A really nice lady, Kerry, who'd also witnessed the sandwich debacle. The whole office laughed about it for weeks afterwards, and every new hire for at least a year got to hear the story, as both entertainment and a warning. I smiled about it for a month, and both Rick and I rarely miss a chance to tell people about PureCap and its potential applications regarding lunch thievery. I never did hear anything else about Don, but I imagine getting hired anywhere else, not to mention being promoted to a managerial position, was fairly difficult with that huge red flag for theft on his record. We've also got a little edit here as well, guys. 
Today, I just asked my brother about the incident and he's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. A couple of days later, Don actually did try to accuse my brother of attempted murder, but both Dolly and Bill went to bat for him. It turned out that Dolly herself had confiscated the sandwich and the errant half-chewed bites, wrapped them back up, sealed the package with duct tape and put it in the back of the break room freezer with a note that said, do not touch. So when it was found that it had nothing spoiled or toxic, as well as only Don's DNA, Don got hit with charges of false accusation and filing a false police report, double, and had to pay for the legal fees and the cost of the testing. So apparently the murder attempt charge got shut down hard. After that, my brother was not interested anymore and asked to never be bothered about Don again with which Dolly, Bill, and the company lawyers happily agreed. All right, let me just do some quick matter because I want you all to understand just how much spice was used in this sandwich. It's insane. So one drop of capsaicin oil was said to be 500,000 Scoville units. A Carolina Reaper, one of the hottest chilies in the world, has 2 million Scoville units, right? So effectively four drops. You put 30 to 40 drops in. That's the equivalent of 10 Carolina Reapers. Oh my goodness. I'm not surprised he tried for attempted murder. That amount of spice genuinely could probably have killed somebody. I mean, don't get me wrong. You needed some form of justice here. You can't just steal someone's lunch. But that level of spice and heat, my word, you're lucky that nothing serious happened to the bloke. All right then, the moment you've all been waiting for. This is what the title, the thumbnail is all about. Possibly one of the darkest revenge stories I've ever read. This is Black Hole Revenge. My ex-wife was a monster and now can't hurt anyone else. This story started nine months and 15 years ago. That was when my wife at the time awed me. We'd been together for almost three years. We'd had a child together and were mostly happy. She really wanted another kid and I didn't. I'd already found out that she'd gotten off her birth control and had caught her poking holes in the condoms. I discussed with her how I didn't feel comfortable having another child and refused to have sex with her until we could make a compromise. To understand what happened next, you need to know that we both enjoyed some bondage and kink stuff and our shared bed was set up for that. A few weeks after my ultimatum, I awoke to her on top of me while I was bound to the bed. I won't go into details, but she got what she wanted despite my protest and repeated use of our safe word, which for reference, I'd never felt inclined to say before. A few weeks later, she's making the announcement to the family that she's expecting. Meanwhile, I'm still trying to come to terms with how this happened. I changed my sleeping habits and just in general, I tried not to be around her anymore, but I wasn't willing to leave her I just started doing a lot more with our child. Over the next few months, she started trying to invite other play partners into our house, berating me for not being willing to have sex or do other things with her. I stayed with her and just spent more time at work or with our first child. I couldn't move on and I didn't understand why. Eventually, kid two was born and my wife was happy. She got herself a living boyfriend because I wasn't satisfying her anymore. At this point, I was on the verge of taking my own life. Then my father died, and that was the catalyst that got me moving. Over the next months, I filed for divorce and got her boyfriend arrested. This is not the revenge. During the divorce, she told me if I fought her on anything, she would use audio from some of our play sessions to show how abusive I was. So I didn't. 
I lost a lot. By the end of everything, she was living happy with that same boyfriend and expecting another child from him. It took a few years, but eventually I was ready to enact some glorious revenge. I spent years after the divorce learning everything I could about the boyfriend, where he had family friends, his interests, I worked at relearning the same things for my ex-wife. In the small town they were living in, a large number of people were members of a particular church. I started sending weekly prayer requests for the families around my ex that their children would remain safe from the predator living next to them. It turned out the guy she married liked them young, like 12 to 15 kinda young. The church started making a fuss about things and he lost his job, became unhirable, and they were forced by different landlords to move repeatedly. When their finances really got bad, she went to move back with her dad, while he thought he had a job opportunity in his parents' hometown. His job opportunity was from a fake company with a fake website that was offering just the job he would want that took me a while to make. When it fell through, he decided to stay with his parents for a time and send my ex money. With knowledge of his email, I was eventually able to find out that he was on some different dating and hookup sites. I catfished him on one as a young, curious girl who would love to meet up. This fake girl was a real person, but she happened to be the daughter of the leader of one of the state's largest motorcycle gangs. When he showed up to meet her one day, things went badly for him as he spent a day or two in the hospital and was forced to leave the States. I forwarded all this information anonymously to my ex who decided to dump him on the spot. She was in a bad place also as I'd called a city inspector about her dad's house, which got it condemned. She eventually found herself another place and another man and they moved in together in no time. But I was bankrolling him and soon enough, I had him telling her it's either me or OP's kids because they're just too much. She chose him and I got my kids back. Before long, he left her and she was hunting for someone else to warm her bed. Unfortunately for her, half or more of her online dating was me ghosting her. She started getting more and more depressed. Then the grandparents of the other kids started calling for repeated childcare checks and were filing for custody because they'd heard how neglected the kids were thanks to information I'd been sharing to them. When the other kids were finally taken away, she got a care package filled with photos of all the other people she'd been involved with or had been friends with, showing her how happy they all were now that she was out of their lives. Some number of days later, I got a call informing me that she had taken a bottle of pills and despite the best efforts of emergency responders, she had died and they wanted to know if our children would be needing any grief counseling. The kids actually took it pretty well and I'm as happy as I've ever been. So there we go, guys. Now you probably get why I said this is the darkest revenge story I've ever read. OP just sitting back in the shadows, fully manipulating his ex-wife's life to the point that she felt she had no option but to end it herself. If that is not black hole revenge, then I don't know what is. Wow. Now guys, I've looked through the comments on Reddit itself and a few people are a bit dubious if this story is real or not. So I imagine that some of you may be as well. What I will say is I have personally messaged the user and have asked for more information and look, I'm using my best judgment here. I think it's real. They give me a lot more info that I don't really want to share. And I know this sort of stuff does happen. And uh, yeah, with that all being said, I'm 99% sure this is a real story. I'm not going to go into details, as I said, but yeah, uh, it's real. Picture this. This happened 12 years ago and I'm still reaping my rewards. I worked for the company. They did three-phase photography. 
family and children photography no weddings or events or anything straight studio work that was in a portable setting sittings were booked for 10 minutes and we were supposed to shoot 30 to 50 a day Yes, it's as wretched of a job as it sounds. It was fast, high energy, and at times simply brutal. First, you've got the pre-seller. They come in two to three weeks in advance and sell a special 10 by 13 portraits and book the appointments. Second, the photographer, that's me in this instance, comes in for about a week and takes the pictures. And third, the salesperson returns two weeks later with the special along with the other six poses I took and tries to sell you $400 worth of pictures. I was very good at what I did. The company's sales average was $100 per customer per 50 customers. The more you shoot, the lower your quality because you spend less time taking care of details and details sell pictures. But my average was $175-ish per 150 to 200 customers. I was making this company a lot of money and they consistently treated me like trash. Oh, the stories. Their business model was shoot as many sittings as you can as fast as you can. To them, shooting 50 with a $100 average was better than shooting 35 with a $150 average, even though the profit margin was exactly the same. I never agreed with that, and my boss and I went round and round about it every week. They withheld raises because I didn't have enough sittings and took my bonuses because I wasn't meeting their quotas. So I figured out how to be fast, efficient, and dang good. That's another post. So that's the background. Now the good stuff. Enter the jerk. The jerk is a pre-seller who lied to the customers, lied to the store, and would book appointments from 9 a.m. to 8.30 p.m., even though the studio hours were 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. He told every lie in the book, and I think he even added a few of his own. Want to bring your dog? Family of 15? Sure, bring five changes of clothes, and I'll even have her do your makeup. I don't even do my own makeup. Come and get your picture taken and we will throw in a free toaster. And just to make it more interesting, he would triple and quadruple book appointments. And when he ran out of those, he would sell open appointments, telling people to just come in anytime and my photographer will work you in. Just writing that makes me mad even after all these years. The biggest problem was he would waive the sitting fee or just not tell them even though I was obligated to collect that $8. Every time I didn't, it came out of my check. It was a freaking nightmare. I refused to work behind the jerk for these and a thousand other reasons. I told my boss that if they ever put me behind the jerk again, I would quit, which is exactly what happened. They knew he'd been working at the store I was assigned and they lied about it. I immediately called my boss and told him this was my last week and that he needed to make arrangements to get the photography equipment at the end of the shoots. I should have walked out, but I was young and dumb. It was a three-day shoot and I shot 316 customers by myself. That is an insane amount of sittings and nobody was happy. Every night, the store manager had to tell my customers to leave because the store was closed. People were lined up at 9 a.m. waiting for me. I took so much abuse that week. After a customer threw a shoe at me and another spat on my pizza, the store security guard brought a chair over, staying with me almost the entire time I was there. I honestly cannot remember how many people were escorted out of the store because they acted a fool in my studio. It's been over a decade and I still have nightmares about that week. But nobody came to get the equipment. 
So I start making phone calls and plotting. Hey, what do you want me to do with your equipment? I asked my boss. You're going to need it next week in Florida. No, because I quit. You didn't give me any notice, so I'm not accepting your resignation. I'm sending you to Florida next week. I'm an independent contractor, remember? You can't make me go to Florida. This is not complicated. I quit. Again, though, that's for another post. Just go to Florida. I don't have time for this now. You can quit in three weeks if you can hire a replacement. And he hangs up. Nope, not going to Florida. I packed the equipment and took it home with me. The camera was a brand new Canon T2i 550D, and those were pricey back in 2010. I really didn't want to give it back, but it wasn't mine to keep. I had an idea. My boss was an absolute train wreck of a human. If he didn't want to do something, he wouldn't. If he could find someone else to do it, he would. I decided to use his own worst traits against him. Avoidance and procrastination. The next thing I did was take the company credit card and go to the nearest storage unit with climate control. I rented a unit and paid for the first month, but just one. I unloaded it all down to the last halogen light bulb. I took detailed pictures of everything and an inventory. I locked the door and walked away. At this point, there was nothing I could do but wait and hope my boss would continue to be the worthless wreck I knew him to be. Next, I called and reported the card stolen. Why? Because I knew if I didn't, that card would remain active and rent would be paid every month on time and that just wasn't going to work for me. So I cut it in half and sent it and the combination of the storage locker to my boss via FedEx along with a hand-painted sign that said, I quit. I also sent an email to HR, telling them that I was terminating my contract and that my boss had the information on the equipment. This is probably the only sketchy thing I did. The person I emailed was out on medical leave and I knew it. I could have sent that email to a dozen other people who worked there, but they might have paid attention to it. By the time she got back to the office, she had so many emails, she couldn't even begin to tackle them all. A month goes by and the police knock on my door. Okay, so I wasn't expecting that. The company has reported the equipment stolen and the police are there to investigate. I really thought I was going to jail. The cop that knocked on the door was fully expecting to take me away in handcuffs until I explained what was going on. I ended up taking copies of the emails to the police departments as well as my copy of the contract with the storage unit. I also had a copy of the shipping label. Both my name and the company were listed on the contracts. I had to make an official statement and jump through some hoops. The company had placed a monetary value of $12,000 on the studio rig. So potentially I was in a lot of trouble, except I covered my butts. The police told me I was in the clear because the storage unit had their name on the contract. Their credit card was used to pay for it and I had sent the combination and all the pertinent information to the company. I am very good at CYAWP, cover your butt with paper. At this point, I figure the gig is up because surely they're going to come and get this rig or send someone or something. But nope. The boss is still worthless. Two more months go by. I get a call from the storage facility. They're about to cut the lock and auction the contents. I just about peed my pants. I was so excited. I called my boss again, but he dodged my calls and ignored my emails to please call me immediately. I never specifically stated what I wanted to talk to him about. And just like I was hoping he would, he ignored me. 
Okie dokie, I've done all that I can. And that's when it all started to come together. And then I hit a pretty good snag, but it actually worked out better in the end. In this state, if a storage unit goes up for sale, the owner cannot purchase it at auction. I didn't know that. But where there is a will, there is a way. They sent letters and called three more times and then the date was set. The unit went up for auction on my birthday. My neighbor went to the sale. He bought the unit for $125. I almost died. And of course, we were in cahoots on this, but we had to make it look like we weren't. The pistol grip the camera mounts cost more than that, not to mention the lighting, props, and costumes. And of course, the camera. My neighbor then put an ad in the local paper for photography stuff, a $1,000 firm, but didn't list anything specific, and oops, put the wrong number in the ad. A week later, he wanted it out of his garage, so he sold it to me for $126. He has a bill of sale from the auction. I have a bill of sale from him. It is now mine, and there is nothing the company can do about it. But they tried. I now have a fully functional photography studio, all the contacts I need to start my own business, and the skills to do it. I started calling all the stores I'd worked for the last eight years and offered them a much better deal than what the company was giving them. I did my own pre-selling, my own photography, and my own sales. Except I took it a step further. I bought a monitor and computer and let people preview their pictures and order the day of the shoots. They paid in full and I mailed the pictures directly to them. People loved it. No high pressure sales, no tricks. My customers were happy and so were my stores. About six months after my first independent shoots, I heard from the company. I got several nasty letters from them, which I ignored. Word had gotten back to them that I was using their equipment and that I was working for someone else. I just laughed at them. They thought so little of me that it never occurred to them that it was my business. Then I got a nasty legal letter from a lawyer. It started with cease and desist, rolled into me violating the non-competitors agreement and ended with the return of their stolen property. They'd apparently not told him all of the facts. I sent him copies of everything. I waited a few weeks for a response from him and I heard nothing. I finally called to find out what was going on, but no one was available to take my call. How convenient. A few days later, I got a certified letter in the mail saying no other legal action will be forthcoming from this office. Now, I would have been content to just let it slide, but this whole thing ticked me off and now I wanted blood. I made a real effort to really hurt them. Little by little, I built my business and my reputation. I didn't have to do any of the nasty tricks that the jerk did. Within a year, I had stores and schools calling me. I had more work than I could handle on my own, so I took on a second photographer, then a third. I actually hired four people out from under their noses. At the height of my business, I had eight additional photographers and a full-time office assistant. I could have grown much larger, and in hindsight, I am so glad I didn't. Digital photography was a huge boon to the industry, and then it backfired. I found my niche in the market just as it exploded. I ran the company completely out of three states. They lost all of their chain contracts to me, including the store where it all blew up. 
the jerk lost all of his stores and ended up working at a gas station the boss ended up demoted because his district was dissolved when i sniped the contracts the jerk actually tried to convince one of my photographers to hire him to do the pre-selling for her by now my name and my business name had a really good reputation my ex-boss left the company for good and used me as a personal reference He was a good photographer just a rotten manager and i took great joy in telling the people who called me that i was legally not allowed to tell them what i thought of the man the age of the cell phone camera pretty much destroyed traditional photography and i closed my doors as a business in late 2017. the company closed for good in 2016 and i would like to think that i had a hand in that i am still standing and they are nothing but an empty building I still have the original rig, but the camera has been replaced several times. I do senior pictures and the occasional venue shoots. Most of my photography is for restaurant menus now. People ask me if that's boring, but I've never had a meatball scream, cry, or kick me, which is pretty much a daily occurrence when you work with kids. This may not be as epic as some on here, but I beat them at their own game, and that still feels pretty dang good. Not as epic as some other stories on here. Are you joking? I don't want to hear that, OP. That was brilliant. Like, I would love to know what the attorney thought when they got your email back detailing how you've just covered yourself 100% perfectly. There is no case here. There is nothing they can do. You've done it. You've pulled off an absolute masterclass. I love it. The best thing about this, in my opinion, is that this was done so professionally. I mean, I know it's on r slash pro revenge, but nobody was physically hurt. Nobody had their lives completely destroyed. The people that you took revenge on deserved it massively and yeah ultimately this is just some good justice so fair play there's something about stories in which an employee is really badly treated by a company who just does everything in the wrong sort of way you know immoral trying to make money out of others that first guy that was sending you way too many clients just to make money is a disgrace and then that same employee rising up realizing they could do so much more than what they're doing and just destroying that old business taking all their competition in this case even taking their equipment legally i must add beautiful yeah just brilliant i love those sort of stories and i love this one and i hope you guys did too you don't want to sell to the american meet my french husband and waste your time so i'm a 38 year old woman vacationing with my mother who is 71 in europe right now and she just told me this epic story that i must now pass down to all of you some background my mother is a very nice person to strangers especially salespeople aggressive salespeople will back her into a corner for an hour until i come and rescue her because she doesn't want to be rude my father passed away a few years ago at age 81 and he was born in egypt and was schooled in both french and arabic and considered both to be his native languages and then he learned english as an adult when he moved to the u.s a few years after they got married in 1976 but before they had kids they took a vacation to paris My mother collects stamps and she wanted some French plate blocks to add to her collection She left my father napping in the hotel room and went to the post office a block away planning on spending 300 to 400 dollars on stamps She got to the post office and waited in a very long line when she finally got to the front The woman behind the counter told her in perfect english that she didn't speak english So my mum waited for another post employee to become free the second employee finally became available but was very rude to my mother 
telling her that she couldn't help her couldn't sell her this out of stock of that etc while rolling her eyes and being otherwise nasty and rude nearly bringing my mother to tears my mother was so upset that she decided to get some revenge she went back to the hotel room and woke up my father and brought him to the post office my mother waited until the rude woman was available and had my dad translate in perfect french telling the woman that my mum wanted the plate block of every set of stamps she had watching her remove the plate block from each sheet for those of you that don't know when you remove the plate block from a sheet of stamps the remaining stamps must be counted by hand after the nasty woman had a nice stack of plate blocks for my mother one of every stamp design they had my mother turned to my father and said tell her i've changed my mind not only did that woman miss out on a huge sale for being mean and nasty but she also had to spend a good 30 to 60 minutes after closing to hand count each individual stamp after they close for the day i am just so proud of my very polite mother right now oh wow Uh, I must say, I absolutely love your mother. Not in that way, but, you know, she seems like a wonderful woman. But doing that and wasting this horrible person's time to that extent is so good. Can you imagine this employee's face after thinking she's made a massive sale, going through all the badges and handpicking them one by one, then hearing, oh, actually, no, I've changed my mind. That would give me nightmares for a long time. Landscaping owner rips my friend off for $400. So my friend makes him incur $15,000 in expenses. A while back, my friend was selling some stuff online and among the items was a water heater you know the ones you see in every community hall or church kitchen it was in working condition he threw it up online for 150 dollars and got an email from a person who runs a landscaping business saying he'll give him 100 dollars cash today done two weeks later he got an email saying that it's not working weird so my friend offered to give a full refund or cover repair costs if it's under $100. The guy instead sent an invoice for $400, saying the repairs had been done. And if my friend doesn't pay in 48 hours, he'll send a debt collector after him. He paid it out of fear and emailed him the confirmation. The landscaping owner then emailed back saying, this is the price you sometimes have to pay when selling secondhand electronics. Followed by, have a great day. Don't let this hold you back with a smiley face at the end of the email a month later My friend was in a bar and he overhears a girl talking about how her boss who runs a landscaping firm Screwed over some idiot selling a water heater. My friend said, oh dang, I gotta hear this Do you mind if I join your table? And the girl said sure and told the story her boss had bought a busted water heater from a second-hand store for $25 and a working one for $100 and billed the seller for the repair for the busted one before he sold it on for $300 to some community group. My friend asked, who did this so I don't hire that guy to fix up my yard? Ha <laughs> has all round. She says the company name and lo and behold, it's on the email of the guy my friend sold the water heater to. He was the idiot in the story. He told me he was pretty angry about it, but COVID then hit, so we had other stuff to worry about. 18 months later, he was browsing the website he originally sold the water heater on, and he saw a bunch of landscaping materials. Shovels, gardening stuff, wheelbarrows, lights for working at nights, drills, nail guns, some construction materials, and a generator now in my friend's location apparently if you're selling a generator then you need to have a warrant of fitness for it proving that it works it's safe no fade wires etc etc now most people ignore this 
and my friend saw that this generator was being sold by that landscaping firm this generator he said just by looking at it there was no way in heck it would have had a warrant of fitness word of notes failure for a business to provide a warrant of fitness upon request for a generator after two weeks when reported to the official departments and enforced by the court the punishment is a hefty fine and the courts often force the seller to refund the affected party and pay any costs that they incurred insert evil plotting music mp3 right here he talked to his flatmate who agreed that they would go 50 50 on the generator but he would transfer the money now my friend had never met the landscaping firm owner face to face when selling the water heater he left it outside and pickup was confirmed via his security camera and when he got there it was clear that the owner this old grumpy looking man who enjoyed yelling at his employees had emptied out his storage units the owner was very much as it is no refund and the flatmate showed him the transfer confirmation and they took the generator for eight hundred dollars no warrant of fitness provided they then took it to a friend of theirs who is an electrician and he agreed to check it and give an invoice for repairs and to quote the friend it would be cheaper to buy a new generator and to be honest this generator shouldn't have been sold it should have been scrapped they also found that the main identifier number had been scratched off but not a second number that is often recorded as well on a warrant of fitness for tracking purposes. So they got in contact with the seller, telling him the cost for repair, around $5,000. He promptly tells them that he's not paying, as it is, no refund. To which they then asked, have you got the warrant of fitness for this generator? Silence for two days. They followed up with another email asking for it. No response. They then ask again and get an email from him saying that he'll take it back for $800. They said, no, we want the warrant of fitness and they get no response. They emailed him every day for two weeks, nothing. So they printed out the original item listing that had been screenshotted and had been archived on the website and reported him to the website and then the government. Four months later, my friend is in court and the guy went up to him. He tells him that he will take back the generator for $800 and that my friend and his flatmates will be going in to tell the judge that the seller has refunded them and that they want it all dropped. And that's what's happening here. Full stop, end of story. They are doing what they are told to do. My friend said no. So they went into the courtroom and it was over very quickly. The inspector the government sent out to inspect the generator stated that it was in poor condition. It shouldn't have been sold. It was highly unsafe and that the seller had tried to get the generator a warrant of fitness in early 2021, but instead had been told that it was to be repaired or scrapped and that it was not to be sold. They identified it by a second number on the generator that they took down in the original attempt to get it warrant of fitness, which had not been scratched out like the first. The judge ordered the landscaping firm owner to refund the flatmate the $800, pay the $5,000 for repairs to the generator and was ordered to pay a $10,000 fine, which would be given directly to my friend's flatmate as the affected party. When they left the courtroom, the owner was furious and told them that under no uncertain terms was he paying them a penny more and that he couldn't understand what he'd done to deserve such treatments. To which my friend said, remember the water heater? He gave him a very confused look. Remember the water heater you bought for $100? Well, I do because I sold it to you and I know that you had a different one repaired and invoiced me for it. His jaw was on the floor and to hit it home, my friend said, it's a shame, isn't it? When what goes around comes around. 
especially when it's accumulated interest. You have 48 hours to pay or a debt collector will be contacted. Remember, this is the price you sometimes have to pay when selling secondhand electronics. Have a great day. Don't let this hold you back. And they left. He paid the $15,000 two days later. My friend and the flatmate split the $10,000 50-50 as they agreed. Combination of rent payments and study stuff. The generator, they got repaired and then got a warrant of fitness for it before selling it for $1,000 with a newly replaced identifier number. They then went out for a wonderful dinner and night out in town. This is good. This is downright justice right here. You've been scammed and you scam the scammer. Nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it's quite majestic. This is literally the definition of pro revenge. You made him eat his words, hit him in the pocket where it hurt. Just great, great stuff. And it's also just so nice and ironic. When you heard this guy say the BS about, hey, be more careful with secondhand electronics this sort of stuff happens then you say the same thing back to him knowing full well that you've both scammed each other ah chef's kiss delightful so then guys here it is the moment you've all been waiting for this is supernova revenge cheats and lie about why we broke up enjoy being disowned and cut out your family oh and just for good measure op has added the i'm not proud of this tag that's how you know it's gonna be good this happened between me a 25 year old man and my ex a 24 year old woman over the past few months i'll keep it short but keep all the important details to start the first month february was amazing like a dream relationship we've been friends for a while before she suddenly confessed I'd hid my feelings as we were meant to only be friends, so I jumped at the opportunity, stating my feelings. The second month was not as bad, only having a single argument as she invited her neighbor over to what was supposed to be a date. After talking it out, we sorted it and made up. The third month was when the problems started. We had planned out a date to be on a Saturday, as she had work on our usual Friday times. I understood and changed the date of the restaurant I booked to then. I hadn't told her as I wanted it to be a surprise instead of the usual home movie, but she knew to keep that day clear and to dress well for the dates. Only an hour before the date, she texts me saying that she won't be there tonight as she was going to see a movie with a friend. I was honestly furious as I'd already paid the pre-book fee and told her over a week in advance. I tried to call, but her phone was off. I called her best friend and he had no idea what was happening either. The next morning, I talked to her and she argues with me, saying I should have told her it was a restaurant meal. After about an hour of argument, she finally admitted that she was wrong for what she did. I accepted that and we took a day break to calm and clear any bad feelings. After that, the relationship started to decline. I stayed the same, but she started to get more and more distance. Eventually, after three weeks of no intimacy, not even kisses, I confronted her, asking what's going on. She says she needs a week to think and wanted to be single for that. I told her I don't mind taking a break if that's what she needs, but I don't see why being single is needed for that. She argued it's for her freedom, but I realized it was for another guy. We broke up and she spread lies about me cheating and being abusive. Thankfully, the friends she spread it to wouldn't believe her, as we'd all known each other for years, her being introduced to them through me. Her best friend had tried to defend me, and she had blocked him, but he knew her friend group. Through them, we discovered that she'd been cheating the last three weeks of the relationship, as well as the friend she went to the movies with actually being a Tinder hookup. Then she left me to start dating the new guy. 
To nobody's surprise, he blocked her after she tried to start dating him and soon she dropped out of university as the guy had uploaded the videos of her cheating to prom sites spreading through the uni. It was then and there that I decided I wanted revenge. It wasn't much as I knew her parents and we were really close. They knew nothing that was going on and assumed we'd just broken up. Her parents though are super religious along with her grandmother. So, although painful, I found the links to the videos, downloaded them, and took screenshots of all the breakup. Then I contacted her family, saying I had something I wanted to share. I created a group chat with her parents, grandmother, and ex-best friend. Then, I uploaded all screenshots and videos, along with a text message explaining everything that's happened. There was no contact for about a week. Then her ex-best friend filled me in on the situation. She'd lost her scholarship due to dropping out of university. Her grandmother, after seeing the proof, cut her from the will and disowned her, followed by her parents, and then her being evicted from the house, as well as support cut off. She's now working a minimum wage job and sharing a home with friends. So uh, yeah, there you go. If you're wondering to yourself, I wonder when this is gonna become Supernova Revenge. Well, those last two paragraphs, that, that's where. What was that? Now look, I know this subreddit is r slash revenge. It's not am I the butthole, but I still wanna kind of work out whether we think that OP was in the right or the wrong here. Comment down below. Is what OP did way too far or was it justice for cheating? I want to hear your thoughts. Not that it's entirely relevant because this was insane revenge nonetheless, but I don't believe it was warranted. Like, come on, is that fair? Yeah, look, getting cheated on is horrible, of course. But to go to this extent, outing your ex-girlfriend via sexual videos to her family that are super religious, leading to them disowning her and cutting her off, is that fair? I'm not quite sure it is. I got you a souvenir. Yeah, I got you fired from the post office. Sit back and enjoy a story about some revenge I achieved at the US Postal Service back in the 1990s that cost a bullying full-time carrier his union job. In summer of 1991, I found a summer job as a casual carrier for the US Postal Service. They used to hire summer temps to cover for all the full-time carriers who mostly took their vacations in the summer. The USPS had, and may still have, rules that things had to be delivered within certain time windows. People could get fired if they took too long to do tasks. Carriers were both openly and secretly monitored and timed on tasks, and we had the first computerized time system that I'd ever seen. They'd be secretly followed a few times per year to be sure they were working hard the entire time they were outside the post office. The post office building even had secret back hallways, passive sound monitoring, and hidden raised viewing areas where they could see the sorting floor unobserved, Cameras and microphones were hella expensive back then, so this was all done using tricky architecture and the eyes and ears of the postal inspectors. We were supposed to walk over and punch in and out of tasks so that they could track productivity to the second. People walking a delivery route were expected to do it fast, and better routes went to faster carriers. Slow carriers got mercilessly hassled to be faster and were disciplined for slowness. Look at Newman on Seinfeld. Going postal due to overwork was not really a joke there because people would flip out and murder their bosses. I hear it's worse now with GPS. Pre-internet, there used to be a huge volume of mail that got shuffled around the country every day. Quantities of mail that you would find hard to believe compared to what we see now. I was a broke college student home for the summer and was willing to work any hours they gave me. So the supervisors liked me. I was also very friendly with most of the full-time carriers because I was a good worker and I didn't rock the boats. 
also for other reasons that you'll see below i am a fairly big guy six foot five or about 195 centimeters and about 210 pounds back then and i could carry a lot of weight so that also made management happy i was also in my early 20s with long legs so i could move fast carrying a lot of weight sorting mail back then was labor intensive and took a lot of time to learn I had a regular route that I would deliver in the afternoons that was sorted by a regular. I would usually do oddball delivery stuff in the mornings, help move heavy things around, do special deliveries, etc. I would also deliver for full-time carriers that went on vacation or whose T6 was on vacation. Side note, mail delivery is six times per week, but full-time carriers only work five days per week. The T6 is a full-time carrier who did the sixth day for five routes. That way, it worked out that everyone only worked five days per week. At the time, a lot of retail catalogs were mailed to houses. A lot of them. Some were substantially bigger than current magazines. We also delivered magazines, ads, packages, and samples. A lot of companies would mail free samples of products like laundry detergent, shampoo, and other liquids to be delivered to every house on the route. These were the bane of the carrier's existence because they were bulky and heavy. This slows you down and is physically taxing. Usually, carriers would divide the very heavy stuff up and deliver it throughout the week. So, on to the revenge. I was assigned to do the T6 work for Dave, name changed, for a few months. Frickin' Dave. Picture a failed phys ed teacher in his 40s. Bad moustache, about 5'7", wore knockoff sunglasses like Magnum P.I.s, and had an opinion about everything. Dave learns he has me as his T6 and decides he will leave all of the heavy stuff for me. So, once a week, I got confronted with the entire week's worth of heavy mail for this butthole's roots. I confronted him about it, and he basically laughed and said there was nothing I could do about it. The other full-time carers didn't like Dave much either, but I was a temp and he was there permanently, so I was encouraged to just suck it up. I went to our boss and escalated to our postmaster, but was told that he was full-time and I was a temp, so I just had to deal with it. If the mail needed to be delivered that day to meet the deadline, I had to make it happen. The postmaster's exact words were, just deliver every piece of mail for the route as fast as you can and don't worry about the time it takes or anything else. You're making huge overtime on this route. Now, they did talk to Dave and the most egregious stuff stopped, but I was still doing most of the hard work on this entire route. I mentioned earlier that everyone was always on the clock and tracked. In my first week, some of the nicer people took me aside at the beginning of the summer and made it clear to me that I was not to move quickly when delivering full-time carrier's routes because it could make them look bad and cause trouble for them. As a temp, I should always take longer than the full-time carriers do because one, my job was limited and the US Postal Service did not really track temps closely. Two, I had zero experience, so everything should take me longer. Three, this was a union shop and they would hate to have to kick my butt for messing up their jobs. And four, most of these people were awesome and I wanted to be a team player. So I was incentivized to move slowly and not make the full-time people look bad. Side note, I am very pro-union and pro-labor, so this is not intended to knock unions, but the context is needed. I decided to wreck Dave's job since he was such a bullying little tool. I requisitioned, or demanded to use, two additional mail carrier bags. These are the -the over-the-shoulder satchels you see all the time. I was asked why, and I specifically told them it was to be able to carry all of the heavy items on Dave's routes without having to keep going back to my Jeep to reload along the way. 
the postmaster personally approved it. After doing Dave's route one to three times per week, he called in sick a lot too. For a few weeks, I knew it very well and was staying on top of the heavy stuff. Once I was comfortable with the route, I started running it. I would literally load up three mail bags for each segment of the route and jog or run his entire route. Dave's route took him about four and a half hours per day to walk. This was probably accurate for him and he'd been on the route for several years. I would finish it in three hours or less. Every day, rain or shine. No matter how many magazines, samples or packages were waiting. No one really noticed I was coming back so quickly and punching back out of delivering his routes when I was only doing it a few times per week. I would come back, pick up other work and get that done. The fun started when Dave took a two-week vacation and I handed his route six days per week. Since I was doing the work right, there was never a backlog of heavy items landing on me once per week. So this made it even easier to jog or run his route as I was back to using one mailbag and fast walking, jogging was enough to get it done quickly. I frequently got it done in under three hours and never took longer than about three and a half. My personal best was under two and a half hours. I got pulled aside by my supervisor and the postmaster after the first week. They asked me about my timekeeping practices and I confirmed that I was doing things correctly. I would punch into his route on departure, keep the appropriate logs and punch back in when I got back. The postmaster then asked me about Dave's routes. I played completely dumb. He noted that I complained about the mail volume several weeks ago and that I used to take six, seven or more hours to get it delivered. I explained that I was spreading the heavy deliveries out over the whole week and that had really made a difference. He asked me if I was really delivering all the mail and whether I was hiding or throwing away mail. A serious problem if true. I got very offended and told him I delivered every piece of mail for the routes every day. Then I dropped the bomb. I told him I was having trouble understanding why this route was budgeted four and a half hours to deliver when it clearly could be done much faster than that. I pointed out that it was a lot of dense multifamily housing, which means less walking. I told him lots of people on the route seemed surprised that I didn't want a soda pop or to sit down and talk for a minute like Dave always did with them. These were pure lies, by the way. This was all in my innocent, gosh, I want to help the USPS voice. I told the postmaster that I was delivering all the mail as fast as I could and not worrying about anything else. I jogged the route again for the next six days and kept getting it done in much less time than Dave. Dave didn't know about any of this. He made a point of finding me on his first day back to ask how I enjoyed doing all the hard work for him while he was vacationing. I told him I'd learned a lesson about how to treat your co-workers. He laughed at me and went back to sorting mail. He came back a few minutes later and said he got me a souvenir. He then pulled his middle finger out of his pocket. Classic Dave. That was my last week at the US Postal Service and I headed back to college. I kept in touch with some of the friends I'd made there and one of them was very happy to tell me that Dave was fired about two months after I left due to the massive discrepancy in how long it took me and him to deliver that same route, the higher-ups audited his routes and discovered that he actually was lollygagging, taking unauthorized breaks and apparently having an affair with the woman on his route, all on the clock. I, on the other hand, was in great physical shape after all that running and had pockets full of cash for that semester. 
His regular T6 also got most of the heavy stuff dumped on her, so she didn't get into any trouble for her delivery times because she was swamped with heavy mail on her day. She actually bid for and got the route full-time when Dave was shown the door. I do have more stories of my glorious summer at the US Postal Service, but crushing Dave is one of the high points. Okay, wow, this is actually sensational revenge for so many reasons. First of all, the image I've got in my mind of you sprinting on this route for two weeks straight for over two and a half hours is nuts just because you hate someone that much. I mean, I rate it very highly. You got the job done, but wow, that is a lot of effort. Second of all, I really like how you didn't really do anything that was that bad. Yeah, sure, a couple of white lies in there. I can see that, I understand. But ultimately, Dave actually wasn't doing his job correctly. You know, he was wasting company time. And yeah, the company came to that conclusion in a weird way via you running the route, which by the way is still just so brilliant. I mean, that is just so good. But hey, he was rightfully fired for wasting company time. And he's also just a so there you go. OP has actually said further down in the comments and stuff that Dave apparently was a horrible person to all the temps, not just him. Sounds to me like he was just a terrible person in general, bullying people for the sake of it, no real reason. Yeah, get that swine gone. You should always pay your accountant, especially if you've got skeletons in your closets. My buddy is an accountant. He has his own firm. His biggest clients are small to medium-sized businesses. Well, he had a client who owned four different clubs, bars in two different cities. The client was always shady, always slow on payment, etc. I was also a customer of one of the bars. They had a poker game that I would play in on Thursdays. One day, I'm at my buddy's house having a few beers and he's complaining about non-payment from a client. I ask who, but he doesn't want to say. But it's really bugging me because it's a significant amount of change. He then says the name. We'll call him Scott. I'm like, wow, Scott isn't paying you. He then says Scott is saying business is way down. And I think that's odd. I've been going to one of Scott's places and every Thursday it's packed. My buddy looks at me and goes, really? I go, yeah, he does this new cash discount thing. 15% off your tab if you pay cash. My buddy goes, really? I tell him about my experience at Scott's bar and eventually the topic changes. A few weeks later, my buddy calls me up and says, you going to Scott's bar to play poker? I said, yeah. He says, can I join? And I say, sure. He joins, we get a few drinks in, lose our money at poker. My house is closer, he decides to crash there. On the way over, he breaks down his theory. He thinks Scott is vastly underreporting his revenue. The reason why he suspects Scott is offering a cash discount is because cash is easier to hide. He says he's going to do a deep dive on Scott's finances. My friend tells me his plan is to go to all four of Scott's establishments, get the prices he charges at each place, piece together how much alcohol he's buying versus how much Scott is saying his revenue equates to. He looks up how much Scott is paying in payroll, rent, bills, etc. Keep in mind he has access to all this info. And he determines that Scott is basically using his credit card receipts and a little bit of cash to cover his cost of his business to include rent, payroll, insurance, liquor, food, etc. However, based upon the amount of products he's selling, he suspects Scott is underreporting his total income by about 35 to 40%. He goes back into Scott's books even more, and he figures in the last year, Scott has been underreporting his sales by 35 to 40%, but he's also been underreporting his sales by at least 20 to 25% for years on end. Simply put, there is no way Scott is going through as much product and as much alcohol as he's purchasing and having the revenue numbers that he's claiming. 
he's underreporting his sales to his accountants, which means he's also underreporting his earnings to the IRS. By this point, Scott owes my friend thousands of dollars that he hasn't paid. He said the total amount could buy a brand new motorcycle. He never gave me the exact number though. My friend decides, screw getting repayment from Scott at this point. Let's get repayment from the IRS through the whistleblower program. He's estimating Scott's underreported his revenue by millions of dollars over the course of years. The whistleblower fees he'd earn from the IRS far outweigh the amount Scott owes him. The IRS will pay between 15 to 30% of what they collect. So, with the assistance of a lawyer, my friend gathers all the evidence he has on Scott's underreporting to the IRS and files a whistleblower report with the IRS. During this time, my friend fires Scott as a client for non-payments. Now, this part gets boring because there's a lot of legal wrangling and back and forth, and this went back and forth. However, eventually the IRS comes down on Scott's and they come down hard. It's estimated that Scott underreported his income to the IRS by about four and a half million dollars. Now, my friend never told me how much the IRS was able to recoup. But Scott's businesses are no longer his businesses, and $4.5 million would put the whistleblower reward at $675,000 to $1.3 million. Keep in mind, it's based on what the IRS collects, not the amount that's reported. I've asked my friend how much he got in the end, and he simply says, I no longer have a mortgage, and it would have been much cheaper for Scott to just pay me. Well, Scott, a little word of advice from me to you. If you're gonna do this, and you're gonna hide how much you're actually earning, surely the one person that you have to keep up to date with payments is your accountant, given that they're the ones that are actually filing this to the IRS. If you're not paying them, like we saw, they're gonna wonder what's going on delve a little deeper and ultimately make a lot of money a lot more than they would have done had they just kept you on as a client you know i just love revenge like this because there's no malicious stuff in here is there like op's friend wasn't paid the money that was duly owed to him for doing his job went through the whistleblower program completely legally and then got money completely legally from someone who was doing illegal things it's just great the definition of pro revenge just very efficient and, and got the desired effects i love it deny my employee claim and tell me if i don't like it i can leave I'll withdraw everything from your company and watch you disintegrate. I have a story that started before the COVID pandemic and just concluded a while back. I am a typical simple guy who just likes relaxing and I was born with the proverbial silver spoon in my mouth. I am the black sheep of my family and a middle child to boot, double whammy. But I at least have a little brains and some luck which I kind of use on a day-to-day basis. Due to my parents' connections, I managed to get into lucrative schools in my country, did my military service, and was promoted upwards to captain, and later on was shipped off to college out of country. I've never been too close with many people, apart from my circle of friends, and I prefer it that way. After my college, I was employed in government. You guessed it, family connections again. And after a few years, I was able to use my family name to get ahead and meet people who helped me set up several businesses in my area a coastal city where this story takes place the money i used was generally allowances small inheritance from my late grandma some investments a fund that was started when i was a baby and money gifted to me by my family basically an attempt to not leave me broke enough to embarrass them even though i'm a simple low maintenance fellow my businesses are booming since the coastal area we live in attracts a lot of tourists local and international And of course, some locals who wish to mingle with these tourists to get green cards, pen pals, spouses and such. 
Typical coastal city, I guess. So then, the incidents. As a proprietor of my businesses, I have most, if not all of my staff on salary since it's the best way for them to gain benefits and it's easier for me as a business owner tax-wise. Tipping is more of a gift, typically since we do not have a tipping culture here. And I have my staff on comprehensive medical insurance, which has additional dental and optical on top of the national government healthcare medical scheme. Our government hospitals provide all services free, but wait times for elective services surgeries are exhausting. We also have a mandatory legal requirement to provide employees with retirement benefit savings. Minimum of 21 working days leave. I give 30 and my businesses offer paid overtime, unhindered medical leave for surgery and serious conditions, which can be extended, as well as allowances to seek treatment such as chemo or dialysis. So, One of my female employees, an older lady who is brilliant and had moved up the ranks to manager and was adored by all, was booked for a hysterectomy since, as she told me, she was at risk of cervical cancer as her mother had passed from it a few years back. And since she'd already had four kids, it was the most logical step. She did her due diligence and found a private hospital which was in our system where she could have the procedure done. On the planned date, she applied for leave days, which we obviously rejected since this fell under the scope of medical leave. She went on to have the procedure successfully and had a quick recovery time. The bill was to be catered for by the company insurance and we'd made sure to get all the necessary pre-authorizations. A few months later, she came to work looking distraught and in all honesty, we thought that she'd been told she had cancer since she'd asked for a day off to go for review and tests. But what actually happened was much worse. She'd been given a bill by the hospital since the insurance had refused to pay for it citing that it was not in the scope of cover. We were livid since we'd made sure everything was in effing order. Okay, got to interject here. Not sure a bill is worth than being told you have cancer, but I get it. It's not something you want to hear. I sent my accounts manager to go and have a talk with the insurance people as we try to calm her down. The manager came back super angry and told me that basically after showing them the evidence, the insurance people just told him to buzz off. I decided to personally go and visit that office and get a clear understanding of what was happening. They kept me waiting for an hour and even after that had the audacity to inform me that the director from the head office who was in the area had declined to meet me because he was quote unquote busy. I was fuming to the high heavens, so I decided to go to their head office in the capital city, a two-hour flight. The head office was no help and informed me that they'd revised their policy and that it was not covered. I asked when this happened. They informed me a month prior. I informed them the surgery was done five months ago and we had all the documentation. They claimed that it was 12 months retrospective. I inquired why I was not informed of this since this was big news and I have policies with them. And they told me that they'd informed their large clients and would inform their other clients when their insurances were due for renewal. I demanded to speak to their boss, company vice president, since the CEO was not around. And they boldly told me he had no time for me. And frankly, that's in verbatim. We are a large company and have no time to argue semantics with low end clients. If you don't like it, you can frankly leave and find a new insurance company. So then, the revenge. If I had been initially angry, now I was full blown mad. I was livid and filled with rage. In all my years, I may have experienced some disrespect and accepted it not to make problems. But this time, it went too far. I decided in the heat of the moment to switch everything and be done with them. 
I flew back home and just plain went to the hospital and settled the bill in full and took the receipt to my employee who initially insisted that she'd do anything to pay me back. But I refused since it was in no way her fault and i'll be danged if she pays for something that was way out of her control I had a few days to cool down and talk with my directors the words still etched on my mind I asked how long it would take us to switch to another insurer They went ahead and checked out a few large rivals of the insurance we had and discovered that if we switched It would take six months for the new insurance to provide full coverage The firm we picked who i'll call new insurance offered us a way better deal to the one we had And not only comprehensive cover dental and optical They also included mental health cover physiotherapy and occupational therapy cover as well as rehabilitative services mobility device acquisition prosthetics and wheelchairs for some of the disabled employees smart cards for direct payments on outpatient visits kind of like a debit card and a dedicated team of relationship managers death and funeral benefits and an expanded coverage area plus up to six dependents plus spouse cover It would cost me a little more, but I didn't really care The people who dealt with us from our previous insurance who i'll call old insurance Seemed unfazed that I was pulling my company from them since they thought it was just a small business They looked puzzled when I came in with several people and a few boxes of documents What they failed to realize was that apart from that one business, which is a restaurant I also have three popular bars a cab company a hotel resort a cleaning service chain a building and residential guard service and several rental buildings in the town and around the country their shock was compounded when they were informed by the lawyer just who i am and the shock or confusion and panic when they heard my family name was an extremely satisfying sight. Cue the pleading and attempted negotiations and apologies. It was so big that the news reached the head office who sent not only their director, the one who was apparently too big to see me, but also their chief legal officer, chief financial officer, and president of the company. I somehow also earned a personalized call from their CEO who was abroad. No amount of sweet talking was changing my mind and by the end of six weeks We completely removed ourselves from the old insurance It was now a waiting game to the beginning of the new insurance cover And we really really hoped that no one would become unwell by that time But we were ready just in case in that waiting time and after the new insurance commenced I talked to my friends and my family on one of my holiday visits My older brother's kids adore me and my family kind of realized they were buttholes to me and are trying to re-enter my life And I thought that that would be that but the aftermath My friends and family took my words and also pulled their businesses from the insurance to other insurances The company took such a huge hit and when covid came around and was a big deal They were barely floating They went into receivership soon after and were acquired by the insurance I had moved to who happened to be their greatest rivals The directors and ceo were given their golden parachutes and resigned And most of their employees were luckily retained apart from the senior executives Including the ones who told my manager to buzz off In a cruel twist of irony the building they were operating in in our town was sold and if you guessed I purchased it You'd be absolutely correct I decided to remodel the inside and turn it into a business rental space all in all It was a bit of sweet payback and wherever they are I hope those disrespectful guys learn that everyone is human and they're not above anyone 
And remember that Karma is a cold and heartless witch. Wow, some truly beautiful revenge there to kickstart today's episode. That is such a fundamental lesson to learn. And look, they learned it very harshly, but at least they learned in the end. It doesn't matter who you're speaking to in business. You have to be respectful of absolutely everyone because you don't know who someone may be or who they may end up becoming. I gotta be honest, OP, I love how self-aware you are as well. The fact that you know that nepotism has brought you up in life and that you do come from a very successful family and using your family name is a massive bonus and has been in your life is one thing, but then reverse engineering that and almost going with reverse nepotism to play yourself off as just a cool, normal customer, but secretly in the back of your mind know how important you are, as well as all your other companies and your friends and family's companies, to just cripple this disrespectful insurance company is beautiful. Disgusting relationship management and yeah, they earned all that they got. Maintenance guy at Senior Living Center gets revenge on satellite TV companies. Over 200 residents emerge victorious. I am the maintenance director at an independent senior living center. It's pretty much an apartment complex in which you have to be a senior citizen to reside. We provide three meals a day, housekeeping, activities, a bus for transportation, and several other amenities to increase the quality of life. Because, more times than not, these guys will spend the final years of their life here. Our facility is family-owned and orientated. Family members of current employees are encouraged to apply for positions. We have one rule in our employee handbook. Ensure resident safety, happiness, and prolongment of life. I take my job very seriously, and I take pride in it. I try to go above and beyond to make them all happy. Each resident during the daytime either listens to the radio, plays crossword puzzles, or most of the time watches their favorite TV shows. We do not provide television service. Each resident has to provide it themselves if they choose. Over the last year, there's been a trend of televisions not working in countless units. And when this happens, the residents get very upset. When I get a work order for a TV, I go and check it out. Most of the time, there's nothing I can do. If the cable isn't cut, everything's plugged in, and there are no obstructions to the satellite signal, it's gonna be a software issue. When this happens, I install an air antenna until their regular service is fixed. I call the company and a tech comes out fixes it, and usually within a couple of hours, it stops working again. This is a never-ending cycle of upset residents. Over the course of an entire year, I spoke with several supervisors and tried to schedule for someone to come out and go through the entire property with me to address each issue. But they weren't having that. They wanted me to go to each individual unit and have that particular resident call them almost impossible. That is because a lot of them have trouble hearing and discussing complex matters over the telephone, let alone know the four-digit code and the answer to the secret question. One resident was out of service for over 60 days, and I demanded that they refund or discount this particular resident properly. They ended up only giving her $21 off which isn't even half of a single month's payment. When I spoke with this particular representative, I told them that wasn't enough and I would be throwing all of their dishes in the dumpster. This is just the tip of the iceberg. These companies have caused significant property damage to the facility. They've ran the cokes in the gutters and down the downspouts, run cables draped over the sidewalk, which is a tripping hazard, install dishes in the center of courtyards and wherever is convenient for them. All over the property, cables are strung out on top of the grass for hundreds of feet. They don't bother to bury any of the cables. I've discussed this numerous times with the owner of the facility last year. 
The last time I spoke with him about it, he gave me the okay to handle the situation and do whatever was needed to be done to fix the issue. My options were limited, and the only feasible option I could concoct was using a landline company that didn't need a satellite dish. Well, I've officially finished running new cokes to every single unit, and a landline company has come in and installed boxes and services in each resident's apartments. Residents who've previously had to pay a monthly fee for their television service now get their service free of charge and those that never had service now do we've saved over 50 residents money every month and all in total over 200 now have television service that is included in their rents without any increase whatsoever this was revenge for the representative talking to miss t in such a negative and rude tone i believe miss t is the resident who was only given back just 21 dollars despite having no tv for weeks on end i could not be happier for my residents our senior citizens are some of the most precious things we all enjoy they hold all of our wisdom good day now guys up on screen right now if you're watching on youtube is a video of that wire just showing how weird it is really how poorly integrated and designed it is look it's clearly a tripping hazard it's just right out in the open very dangerous and very unnecessary how hard can it be just to bury it if you can't see it right now if you're listening to this on podcast platforms i apologize but head over to my youtube channel link down below to watch this absolute monstrosity of a wire And as you can see right here, if you are watching on YouTube, Opie has posted a picture of how the cables go into each department. It's such a shoddy job. If you can't see this right now, it's literally just a cable going through the window, not even through a wall, pretty much just through a window into the apartment. It looks so bad. I would almost think this couldn't be real, but it is. So there we go then. Two examples of companies that have a big clientele, just not respecting them enough, and eventually losing that business, which, as I say, is clearly very sizable. In that story, it was over 200 customers, and in the first, it was multiple big businesses just because they're not being nice and doing their due diligence. Ultimately, you have to say that it comes down to laziness, really, and these companies thinking they can just get away with doing a bad job. It's very, very poor, and they got their comeuppance. I love to see it. Tomorrow, I'm going to ruin his life. I've been with him for three years now. We plan on getting married when our lives settle down. I wanted to start a family with him. I loved him more than anyone else in this world. I've sacrificed so much for him, moved away from my home, turned down jobs so I could stay with him, and stood by his side as he started to go back to school. I gave him my world, and he cheats on me. I found out over a month ago. The scumbag got cocky, and I found out he was cheating on me with two different women. One is a TA at his university, the other his best friend's girlfriend. I am livid. I write this post choking back venom. I loved him so much. He was my world, but now he will be the world I burn to nothing but ash. I pay for everything since he quit his job last year to go to school. I was more than happy to help him. I make enough to support us both. The only upside is the student loans are in his name with no connection to me. It will hurt to push the scumbag out to sea, but I will survive. I've held out for a month, enough time to create what I call the day his world burns. Tomorrow, we are hosting a party. I arranged for his family to come, but my family will sadly not be able to make it. I've packed everything valuable already, and the suitcase is in the back of my car. My brother will come during the event tomorrow to take the car that is in my name that the dirtbag drives to my parents' house. The joint account, which is all my money anyway, is already empty. 
The event will be great, and he thinks it's for us to announce our engagement to his family. What will happen in reality is I will announce my departure from his life. I've already taken a job out of states, and I've lined up a new place to live. I will start by telling everyone what he's into, the screenshots of him asking his friend's girlfriend to pee on him, and the many other fantasies his degenerate mind came up with will be passed around. I will then hand him the notice to vacate, as I've already broken our lease. We need to be out by the end of the month. I will end by informing him I've already reported he was sleeping with the TA for one of his classes the previous semester to the university, and that I'm sad I won't see the fallout from that. His friend also has a message for him that I will deliver, informing him that his friend group never wants to see him again as well. And with that, I will leave. I won't look back. I'll set his life on fire and I'll walk away. Now, a commenter below this post has said, it seems like a lot of effort to expend on someone that's not really worth your time. I just leave, tape the picture to the fridge and go. But such is OP's hurt that this is what they replied. The truth hurts, more so because what you say is 100% true. He is not worth it. He is a cheating scumbag who ruined my life. The sooner I cut him off, the better. But I lost everything the night I found out he was cheating on me. A piece of me died that night. Maybe I'm terrible, but thinking of just walking away without making him lose everything that he took from me, it kills me inside. Now, that post was originally posted on the 11th of June, but just yesterday, on the 13th, we got an update. Yesterday, I was supposed to ruin his life. They say that hubris is the downfall of man. Yesterday, I planned to ruin his life in front of his entire family. I worked for a month to create the scenario that would cut him the deepest. I patiently waited for the chance to storm out of his world in a blaze of glory. And then I hit the front page of Reddit. I realized I'd screwed up when he wasn't answering my texts and hadn't shown up hours after he told me he'd be home. I'd hoped it was a happy accident, literally a car killing him before I had the chance. But no, I don't know how many men in the world are currently cheating on their soon-to-be fiancé with their best friend's girlfriend and a TA. However, the one who mattered in my plan found my Reddit post. I called his mother and found out that he'd run home to his parents. He told them we had a fight and that we were probably through. I was, and still am, livid at myself. His mother asked me what had happened as he left out a few details, so I decided to tell her that he was cheating on me with a TA and his friend's girlfriend. I soon heard shouting before she hung up. I texted my ex that he had until morning to return my freaking car before I reported it stolen and sent the screenshots of all his texts to his parents and siblings. My car was sitting in my driveway when I woke up. I contemplated sending the screenshots anyway, but his mother sent me a heartfelt text yesterday apologizing for her son's actions, and I feel they deserve to be spared from his degenerate doings. Me and my father will be moving all my stuff today, and I won't be coming back after that. I know you'll be reading this, you cheating frick. You're a cowardly POS. Just know I am not above sending out all the screenshots if you ever dare to come back into my life. Oh, and your ex-friends all know about your pee and scat fetish. I can't control what they do with that information, so 
Good luck with that. You know guys, for a platform as large as Reddit is, I do often wonder why I don't come across more stories where people involved find out about the original post. I mean, these stories get viewed by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people with tens of thousands of upvotes. They're so popular, it's crazy. But I do believe that that is the first story I've ever come across in over three years of doing this in which someone's Reddit post has ruined their plan of revenge. That is crazy. All right, well, if you thought the first story of today's episode was a bit mad, how about this for a title? My ex lied about vaccinating our immune compromised eight-year-old daughter. She now has chickenpox and is in the hospital. I want my ex as far away from her as possible. Me and my ex split up before our daughter's birth. There were a variety of reasons for this that I won't get into here. One of them though was her anti-science beliefs. She's an anti-vaxxer and doesn't trust science or medicine at all. Well, this sucks because our daughter was born premature and immunocompromised. We have 50-50 custody of her, but due to her condition and my wife's anti-science beliefs, we argue constantly about how to handle her. Well, recently our daughter has made incredible progress and last year was given the go-ahead to get vaccinated for certain viruses, including chickenpox and the flu. My ex went crazy about this and started making my life a living hell and threatened up and down to take me to courts. Around this time, I also got a new job that paid a considerable amount more than my old. When this happened, I decided I wanted to move my girl into a private school that has a program for immune compromised children, and I offered to pay 100% of tuition. The only problem, for my ex at least, is that this school requires students to be fully vaccinated, up to their medically allowed limits in my daughter's case. My ex fought me up and down on this and we ended up in court. The judge agreed with me and ordered my daughter to be vaccinated. My ex had a full breakdown, but in the end agreed, only on the condition that she get to take her to lessen the emotional damage and make sure the doctor doesn't poison her. I demanded the medical forms confirming this and she agreed. So my daughter finally got vaccinated and last fall started at her awesome new school. Well, last week, my daughter got incredibly sick and had to be rushed to the hospital from school. She somehow had contracted varicella, chickenpox, despite being vaccinated for it. I've been stressed out from the minute I got the call and confused as heck as to how she got it. My daughter must have picked up on this and thought I was mad at her because when I was visiting her in the hospital, she decided to tell me the secret mummy promised to make me keep. It turns out my ex didn't vaccinate her. She made my daughter lie about it. Instead, she's been using special oils and salts to keep her from getting sick. What about the forms I got saying she was vaccinated? They're fake. I called the doctor and it turns out she never went in and he never signed any forms confirming she was vaccinated. So my ex lied and faked the forms to convince me my daughter had got vaccinated. I am fuming to say the least. My daughter is in hospital because my ex decided to let her beliefs come before our child's health. My ex doesn't know that I know yet and I told my daughter not to tell her. I want her gone now. How on earth do I approach this to make sure my ex suffers for this? I have the form she handed me and the text from the day she took her. I also have the doctor on record saying he never signed off on these and that the ones I have are forged. I'm planning on speaking to a lawyer, but I'd like to know what to do. 
Thank you. Now guys, good news. We have an update. Wow, that last post got real popular it seems, for better and for worse. Seeing as you guys were interested in it, I thought I would come back with an update. Well, a lot has happened since that day. My daughter is safe with me and was let out of the hospital about a week ago. She's getting better every day. I know though, you guys want the full story, so here it is. After I made that post, I took the advice given to me and the next time I saw my daughter, I told her that it was wrong of me to ask her to keep secrets and that it's okay to tell her mum. Along with that, I saw a lawyer recommended to me by a trusted party. When I went to see him, he told me that this is a case lawyers salivate over and that my ex is in a lot of trouble. I immediately filed for emergency custody of my daughter. I also got in contact with the doctor again and explained the situation fully to him. He says that while he will not be getting lawyers involved, that he wishes for me to submit the evidence to the police and file a report. Along with this, my lawyer has gotten into contact with the court that originally ordered us to vaccinate our daughter and has handed over everything I gave to him. He's advised me to stay quiet on this matter, so I'll leave it at my ex is in a lot of trouble with them. During this time, my ex started to get suspicious. Maybe it was because a friend told her about a post on Reddit and she freaked out. Who knows? A few days later, when I saw her at the hospital, we had an altercation. She became hysterical and yelled various threats and insults at me, including telling me that I want to poison our daughter right in front of our sick child. She was escorted out of the building and the head nurse has banned her from coming back. After this, she sent me a barrage of texts telling me that I'm a monster and that if she had vaccinated her, that she'd be dead by now. This was sent to my lawyer. As he puts it, she's what lawyers dream of when they hear who's on the other side of the court. Outside of this, I've been advised to stay as quiet as possible. So I'll leave it with this. This week, I received emergency custody of my daughter until our custody hearing later this year. I've heard that the DA is slowly getting ready to move forward with a multitude of charges against my ex, and that will land her in jail soonish. And that's really it for now. I'm gonna follow the advice given by my lawyer and say nothing else to anyone. I don't want the media involved in this for a few reasons, so I've left this as vague as possible. When this is all said and done, if the interest is still there, I may come back again. But for now, thanks for the advice in the original thread, me and my daughter appreciate you and guys unfortunately that is where we're up to in this story that's all i've got for you you actually bought that didn't you for a split second did you think that i'd do that to you of course not i would never here it is then three years after that update it's the second update the one we've all been waiting for which clears up everything hello again everyone out there Three years ago, I made a post about how my ex lied about vaccinating our daughter. Soon after, I gave an update and disappeared over the horizon. I had completely forgotten about making that post, as the last few years dealing with a global pandemic and an immunocompromised daughter have aged me three decades. But I saw a post recently talking about my own posts and it came back like a ton of bricks. After wrestling to get back into this account, here I am. I hope you're all still interested in an update. Well, to give the short answer first, I have full custody of my daughter and my ex is barred from having any contact with her. The long answer, my court battle between my ex and me was a gruelling process, one of the worst periods of my life. It took over five months from the time I got emergency custody to get full custody of my daughter. In retrospect, those five months were not as long as they felt, but they felt like the longest months of my life at that point. 
My ex's harassment at that time got worse, even coming to my house and attempting to force herself in to take our daughter. She was arrested for this and charged with attempted forced entry. Before she could bail herself out, the DA decided to throw the book at her for forging medical documents. She ended up spending a month in jail for this, which unfortunately got our custody case continued. The upside of this was I was given a protective order for me and my daughter, one that bit her in the butt when we finally got in front of a judge. I was given full custody of my daughter. My ex and her lawyer annoyed the judge by trying to claim that I'd planned this all from the start, forcing her into a corner to vaccinate our daughter so I could use her response to initiate the custody battle. Her actions, her upcoming hearing for committing felony forgery and forced entry, along with the protective order, convinced the judge that my ex was more than a danger to our daughter. She lost all custodial rights and as of now is not legally allowed to contact her in any form. My protective order was extended by two years as well, but I didn't need it as it was only a few months later that she went to prison. My ex pleaded out, they dropped the forced entry charge and she only got two years in prison for the forgery, but was still hit with the felony. She was released early due to COVID though. Since then, luckily, I've had no contact with my ex outside of getting the child support I am owed. I'm not really inclined to keep tabs on her personal life, but I know that she went off the conspiracy deep end. She is now a full QAnon supporter and dating someone who was involved in the January 6th intersection. Other than that, she's disappeared from my daughter's life entirely. As for me and my daughter, the past few years have been a living nightmare. We moved to a new state and I had to put her into fully online schooling. But our lives are great. And amazingly, my daughter was able to get the COVID vaccine only a month ago and is clear to go to physical school once the summer ends. This saga of my life has taught me so many things. I'm grateful every day to have my daughter with me, safe and in a place where she can slowly grow and get healthier. It's kind of touching that so many people are interested after all this time in a normal guy like me and my daughter. I genuinely hope this is the last update I have to make. Thank you for your interest and see you all over the next horizon. And there we go. Three years on from the original post, we have a fantastic update, but wow. Did that not take a while? I can only imagine the stress and just anger that you were going through every day OP. Having to look after an immunocompromised daughter in the first place is tough. But then having your ex be like this at the same time? Jesus, somebody call a doctor. Well, call a doctor and actually go and don't forge your documents this time. Yeah. Sweet. Beat me up, my mother will burn your house down. All right, so I am Wiccan, a modern pagan religion, AKA not Christian, and I'm pretty open about it. Now, this got me in trouble when I was younger, specifically in the fourth grade. I was bullied heavily in school for this, since I lived in a predominantly Christian area in the South. Notes, my town is literally only 900 people. This means everyone knows everyone. The bullying started typically and was manageable, being called names and having my stuff knocked out of my hands. The only thing that really got under my skin was when they'd call me a Satanist or a devil worshiper. But even then, I'd just brush it off since I'm neither of those things. And I'd even correct them on what Satanism was. This might have made it worse for a bit, but I had fun doing it. Well, one day, I guess I must have done something these kids really didn't like because they managed to talk their older siblings into following me home and beating me up. Some of their siblings were seniors or even graduates. Three of them were legally adults. This is especially important. As a kid, I have no sense of danger and I just took them following me as them going the same way. But I was still moving pretty fast because we just got a Wii 
and I wanted to play Mario. Well, I managed to get to my yard, but not much further than that, when my backpack got grabbed and I was pushed to the ground. These teens were now beating me, and they weren't pulling any punches either. Well, I guess my mum heard the noise and came outside. They ran off after that. My mum picked me up and had to take me to the emergency room. I had two fractures in my nose and a broken arm. This meant I couldn't play the Wii until it healed, and the police were called while I was there. Remember how I said I reached my yard? Well, we had cameras that caught most of the assaults and caught almost all of the teens' faces. The ones who were 16 and under mostly got a slap on the wrist and that was that. There were about seven of them, I think. Not all of them were hitting me, some were recording, but the ones who were 18 got arrested and faced some heavy prison time. Now, there was this 17-year-old, who I will call Trashy Teen from here on, who managed to walk out of this after a few days in the county jail. My mum was not happy with this at all, since his birthday was about two weeks away, and he should have been charged as an adult. Now, like I said before, this is a small town where everyone knows everyone else, and my mum knew exactly where this Trashy Teen lived and knew his parents. This is the point where my mum shared the majority of this story. I'd like to point out that his parents weren't nice people at all. And my mum definitely had more than one reason to despise these people. Such as when they stole our Pomeranian from our yard, tied him to a streetlight, and hit him with a stick until he died. What? The fact that their son broke my bones sent her over the edge with this family. And I think the final nail in the coffin for them was actually bragging about how their son got away with beating up that heathen boy at the local stores and on social media. It didn't take too long for my mum to work out a plan in her mind. Because later that week, she told me that she'd get them out of town no matter what. My mum is not a killer though. And while she later did admit she was tempted to enact the plan much sooner, she chose not to make things worse if she had got caught. So she waited for two months and that is until summer break hits. This trashy family was not one to be quiet about big plans since they loved to brag about having more money than most in the town. And they'd always announce when they would be going on vacation, where they'd be going and for how long. This was it, mum's golden opportunity. She made sure everything was set. She checked around the trashy family's neighbor's houses for any cameras, made sure that she had a place she wouldn't be seen And on the last day of the trashy family's vacation, as I said, they'd even announce how long they'd be gone, she went down at night and set their house on fire. This small town didn't have its own fire station. The nearest one was 45 minutes away. By the time a fire truck got there, the damage had been done. Most of their house was completely destroyed. Just like clockwork, that next morning, they arrived to see the destruction. You could hear the screaming three blocks away. My mum just sat in her chair, drinking coffee, and watching the golden girls the reason i chose to write this now is because my mother passed away in 2017 this was when she chose to tell me the whole story i didn't want anyone who knew her to read this immediately after her passing so i waited a few years before sharing feel free to ask questions i will answer them to the best of my abilities now speaking of there are a couple of questions i just want to quickly cover in the comments from this user what happened to the trashy family after the burn did they leave town And were you still bullied after the camera caught the bullies? Opie replies, They did leave town. They stayed at a homeless shelter for a bit, two towns over, until they found a place. I don't know where they moved to, but I feel sorry for their new neighbors. 
Yeah, me too. And here's another good comment. I'm not sure how she held off doing that when they killed her dog. That already is worthy of blind rage. Yeah, I agree. When I came across that sentence, wow, that put me into utter disbelief. OP says, I agree. I didn't get told the truth about Tiny until I was in junior high. Oh man, rest in peace, Tiny. You deserved so much better. Now, while that is the end of that first post, good news is, guys, we have another post that was posted just a few hours later from the same user. Don't ever be a pedo in the country. So, a few people on my last post wanted to hear this story. I might end up having to make an entire series based on what I call country justice, since they do tend to be entertaining. This story I was only directly involved in a little, but since I live in a small town, I've heard the entire story from the people who were involved. It was late August. I was newly a senior in high school and working at a gas station known for its pizza. Though this doesn't seem like it matters, it definitely does. Now, in my town, we had one registered sex offender and everyone knew who it was. He'd often come to my gas station to hit on our female workers and make everyone generally uncomfortable. I'm going to call him Herbert. Now, this story mostly takes place with my good neighbors. But if you know country living, messing with a good friend is the same as messing with family. And messing with a good friend's children is messing with the entire town. Now, I think it is quickly worth going through the characters that are involved in this story. So we have Herbert, the pervert. Doug, who is a good neighbor slash family friend. Katie is Doug's first daughter. Sadie, his second. Josh is my younger brother. Mum is my biological mum. Now, my adopted mother was the one from the previous story, the one I just read. My bio mum was on drugs at the time I was born. She's been clean for 13 years as of the time in the story and regained guardianship over me after my adopted mother passed in 2017. My adoptive mum is biologically my grandmother and my bio mum has always stayed a part of my life. And finally, Dusty is my stepdad. So then, onto the story. Now, the actual story really involves Doug, who is our good neighbor family friend. It was a nice day out. Katie and Sadie, Doug's daughters, were playing in a kiddie pool. Doug was sitting on his back deck and drinking a beer with Dusty, my stepdad. Dusty was talking about having a barbecue at our house and inviting the block to join. That is when they noticed something a bit odd coming from the bushes used as a property divider doug gets up to check it out thinking it might be a dog that got out of a fence or something and doesn't want it to get hurt instead he is greeted by an old man holding a camera taking pictures of his daughters this is where my family starts getting involved herbert sensing he's been caught takes a can of gasoline he has on his property and dumps it on doug trying and failing to light it dusty easily notices and rushes to doug's aid Yes, this is exactly how he described this to me, and I find it too funny to change to make it seem less heroic. Herbert manages to run away while they're distracted by Doug's gas problem. So, the start. Now, no one liked Herbert, but he's never actually done anything illegal until that point. So, we act like rational people and call the police. Sadly, we don't have enough evidence to do anything this time, so it fell on my family and Doug's family, as head of the neighborhood watch, to bring this man to justice a few phone calls later and everyone in town knows what herbert has done including me at this point and now i can start the story from my point of view so a few days go by and at my workplace we are instructed to refuse gas sales to herbert i found out later this was dusty's idea to keep him in town under the guise of preventing him from doing this again i would like to add that the police were fine with this until the investigation was over so this could be counted as part of the full revenge plus some petty revenge 
As the plan starts forming with the small army of people we've assembled, about 20 or so, they finally come up with a plan that won't be completely sadistic. Here it is, the revenge. Now this is my favorite part and I get to inform all of you that my family are all farmers, which means we have access to a large field that is away from all main roads and out of sight of the entire town. Some of you might already guess what's about to happen. Well, my family announces that we are having a cookout, so naturally everyone in town hears about this, including the police. Now, around 10 of the 20-ish people actually go to a cookout hosted by my mum. This is where she tells the story that everyone needs to start telling. I was there, so here's the truth my mum was saying. Everyone who was part of the group is currently at this cookout. That is all. So the other half of the group went to find Herbert. They were gone for three hours. Herbert was found at night, bloody and beaten. Sorry, they refused to tell me more details on what was actually done. All I know is that no bones were broken. He gets to the hospital with the help of an anonymous tip to the police. We aren't evil. He gets home the next day. But did Herbert learn his lesson? Nope. This time, I get to see what he tries to do. He tries to grab my little brother. I grab my brother and pull him away before anything happens, but I'm fuming. His dad, my stepdad is fuming, and my mum is fuming. Those of you who read the last story knows how my adopted mother reacts to this kind of stuff, and my bio mum was raised by her. But my mum is not a killer. However, my stepfather is another story. He's been to prison, and he's not scared of it. And this guy just tried to grab his son. Later that night, he calls my mum, and says we need to go to a cookout right now and says that herbert has been hit by a truck my mum asked one question did you do this he says no did you do this dusty i need to know so i can come up with something if you did he says no we hold another cookout and invite the same people as last time to this day dusty will not tell me that he was the one who hit him he says that he'll take that to his grave Oh, and I guess I should say that Herbert didn't die due to another anonymous phone call. Like I said, we aren't killers, but sometimes we get really close. This isn't in too much detail, but everyone in this story is still alive, which means I can always ask them for more details if needed. Let me know if you want to hear what we did to my biological father after he broke into our house in part three of the Country Justice series. Honestly, I have no idea how no one got arrested here, but next year, Herbert did actually get arrested for child prong. We now have zero sex offenders in our town. And guys, unbelievably, the stories from this user keep on coming. The people of Reddit did demand to hear part three of the Country Justice series. And here it is. Enjoy. Dad breaks into our house. We make his life hell. My dad is not a good person by any means of the word. And this is going to involve some serious trauma. Again, the characters. Dad, worst father of all time. Mum is my biological mum. Ryan is my twin brother. And Kian is my older sister. Dusty, again, is my stepfather. The before. Way back when Kian was born, dad had already fallen off the wagon. The first thing he ever did was physically force mum into doing drugs to make sure she stayed with him. Following her birth, things only got worse. While mum would do what she could, dad wasn't happy about having a kid. He'd lock Kian in her room for days at a time because obviously you can't make meth while hearing how hungry your child is. Oh, wow. Two years later, mum was pregnant with Ryan and me. She immediately tried quitting the drugs and had some success, but having meth in our system, we were at serious risk. 
Ryan and I were born with huge complications, premature, barely breathing, and weakened immune systems. After that came the worst few months for mum to endure. While having one kid made dad angry, having three made him fly completely off the handle. It was at this time mum made the hard decision to call DCFS on herself. She knew we weren't safe and wanted a way for us to escape this situation. Mum willfully signed away her rights to us and dad of course wanted to fight. Both were arrested for child abuse and endangerment. Don't cook meth with kids in the house as well as the drugs. It took four years and hundreds of letters for mum to get into rehab. As this was happening, my siblings and I lived with our grandmother, who we grew up calling mum. My grandmother had no intention on fully adopting us, but she was left with little choice after a few years. It was either adopt us or we would be taken into DCFS care. Life was better for us mostly. There's a reason I never mentioned my adoptive father. And we were safe. After a few years in rehab, mum was able to get back in touch with us. She was welcomed and I ended up crying because I found out my adoptive mum wasn't my real mum. We did get to leave kindergarten early the day she came home though. We grew as a family and it was good. After a few years of this, my adoptive father left the picture. Now everything is actually great. As I said, my grandmother passed away in 2017. This was hard for everybody, but especially for mum. She was devastated, losing the one person who believed she could become clean, a good person, and a great mother. Now, dad gets out of prison and goes back in every few years, and he usually tries to get in touch when he does. This year was different. We didn't have our grandma to make sure everything would stay safe, and mum didn't think she could handle seeing him. The mistake. The day comes to bury my grandmother. It was a particularly warm November day. We're all having a hard time and we don't deal with grief too well. I stayed with mum the entire time while Ryan went to our other grandparents to help out. Kian stayed in her room the whole time and we occasionally checked in on her. Night falls and we're looking through old pictures of grandma. We were finally able to stop crying. That is until we hear some heavy banging on our door followed by it swinging open and in walks dad. He goes straight to Kian's room and mum is simply frozen. This is the first time I've ever seen her this way. He eventually leaves on his own after some screaming and making Kian cry. He ended up taking her money and then hitting her. Dusty has called the police already. We have a police scanner. He's been outside the whole time and as soon as dad left, he went to confront him. Mum had to snap herself out of that frozen state and called Dusty inside. She didn't know if dad was armed or anything and didn't want to take any chances. Dad goes across the street and pulls stuff out of his pockets as the cops pull up. He was dumping his bath salts right in front of them. He ends up arrested and we get a restraining order. This is not the last we see of him though. Over the next few years, we hatch a plan to make sure he regrets ever threatening our family again. So, the plan. The plan we managed to come up with was initially supposed to be petty and mildly inconvenient, but it ended up being so much more. We were just going to call the police every week or so on him. If he had something he wasn't supposed to have, well, back to jail. But this didn't work out as planned and the turnout was much more severe. Dad gets out of prison and lives with his mum. Now the problem with this is that we regularly go and visit our grandparents, which means he'd either have to leave or we couldn't go. I'm gonna call my other grandma Nana to keep things a bit more coherent. Nana would always make him leave if we came over, no matter what temperature, time, or weather conditions. This would also apply whenever we stayed the night. We visited Nana so much after knowing what she'd do to see us. This was just our way of saying screw you to our dad. The thing about this was this meant he was essentially homeless, didn't have a car, and could barely find a job. 
When someone did hire him, he'd post in or Nana would tell us. We'd give them a call and have them do a drugs test. He always failed the drug tests. So now he's essentially homeless, having the police called on him and on drugs. He gets tired of this pretty quickly and goes back to Nana's when we are there. That's a clear violation of the restraining order, so he gets fined. This isn't a meager amount of money either. This ruined his savings. So now he's also broke and has been kicked out of Nana's. At this point, he starts to realize he's pretty screwed. We call the police for a suspicious man sleeping on the sidewalk and he had drugs on him. Back to jail. Well, at least he's got a bed. After a few times of this, he is finally broken, devoid of all hope. He manages to get Nana to let him stay there again, so now we get more updates. This has been going on for months now, and we weren't going to stop. Job? Gone. Home? Gone. Money? Gone. Drugs? Gone. Hope? Gone. He actually started to be clean for a bit. It's hard to get drugs if you can't buy them, and when you do, they immediately get confiscated. That is until he finds a new woman. He gets back on the drugs thanks to her money. So what do we do? We get her arrested while he's gone. We're being extra careful not to get him arrested anymore since he'd now end up in federal prison. After so many times getting caught with drugs, our state sends them to federal. Now we've taken away his girlfriend too. So the effects, all of this has worn him down. He is gone. Anytime he'd regain even a tiny bit of hope, we'd snuff it out. He eventually tries to take his own life with a gun that he's not supposed to have and he fails. So now we get to watch him suffer in the hospital while knowing that he's going to get taken to prison as soon as he heals. We had to make things worse for him. We couldn't let the times we didn't call the police go unnoticed after all. So we hired some drugs and ingredients in his dresser, easily noticeable when the police come to search. He now has quite a while in federal prison. Now, before I even give my thoughts on this unbelievable story, firstly, I want to bring you guys this comment. If this is real, slow clap for you, sir. I know exactly one person I wouldn't want this to happen to. You gave him zero reason to live and he can't even kill himself. Now he's in a box for the rest of his life. It's beautiful. That is nuclear revenge. Take everything and leave them alive. Opie replies, it is real. While his name is public information, since he's a criminal, if I gave you his name, you'd be able to find the rest of my family. So sadly, I can't. And there we go, guys. That is going to conclude this story. Three separate parts, all from the same person. Um, What immediately springs to mind is, wow, Opie, you've been through a lot. I'm sorry to hear about all your trials and tribulations because um, as families go, yours is pretty messed up, my friend. Sorry, I gotta say, on the whole, it is good that you're bringing people to justice, even though they are part of your own family. But wow, I don't even know which of these stories was more nuclear out of all three. Opie actually said on this third one that he wasn't sure if this was nuclear or not. This surely is nuclear. Like, you're planting stuff in his hospital bed to make sure he goes to prison for a very long time. That is nuts. Like, I don't want to get too crude, but you made the man try and take his own life. If that's not nuclear... I don't know what is insane and there we go guys that is going to do it for this special episode of r slash nuclear revenge some mental stories in there that last one when i listen to it back now i'm still like what on earth even happened there it just makes no sense to me fully deserved but i just don't even know how that story even came about in the first place hope you enjoyed it if you did and you want more revenge content from me right away i left another big compilation up on screen debatably with some even better revenge stories although i'll leave that up to you watch it then let me know See you tomorrow with a brand new episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.